Good to have you here. Three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. We'll talk uh, with Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, coming up uh, in the final hour. Ben, as the Jags sit there at number one, about nine days out here in the draft. Also, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. Jordan Spieth, the big win at the RBC Heritage Show. We'll talk to him about that. Hawks in Miami tonight, uh, game two. Uh, of that uh, that series, can they bounce back after a uh, pretty tough go of it in game number one? So we'll get to that. But uh, Ben, we talked about it yesterday. Had a lot of folks uh, weigh in. You can give us your thoughts nine one two three four two seven one eight four. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. You can comment on uh, YouTube or Facebook, Twitter while you're uh, watching us here on the show uh, as well. After the Braves and Dodgers had their reunion last night, Freddie Freeman pregame gets his Silver Slugger award. Of course, it was all the Braves going over and saying, hey, and according to Freddie, obviously from the time uh, the lockout started out, he said, look, I haven't seen some of these guys or any of these guys since the World Series parade. Uh, After that, the lockout started, and you weren't allowed to have contact with managers, front office guys. And then, of course, uh, once spring started, he was not under contract, so he couldn't report uh, to the Braves facility. And then, of course, ended up going with uh, the Dodgers. So you had that last night. I think the Dodgers had a big uh, pregame uh, video tribute to Kenley Jansen, who'd been there. So a pretty emotional night on both sides for a lot of people uh, in the house with uh, Freddie Freeman and Kenley Jansen. Of course, uh, Freddie Freeman pregame, uh, doing some interviews, kind of getting choked up about talking about the Braves, to which a lot of people said, well, man, you could have stayed. Like, And then, of course, uh, the first at bat hits a homer. So <laughs> it's like you go right into, doggone it, right, right, out, of the, uh, right out of the gate uh, with his first at bat. Uh, hitting a homer and the the Dodgers end up beating the Braves seven to four. It was it was uh, I mean I I, I would uh, I would be lying to you, Kevin. I didn't say I didn't get a little choked up as well. So because I mean a guy like Freddie Freeman that meant so much for so long for this Braves organization. I mean then little Freddie Free, which I'm just giving him Charlie, like Charlie. You know just running over running over to Daniel Swanson. To me, that's not something you could that's not something you can make up. That's not something you can script. There, uh, I think sometimes we forget. Look. We there for everybody's first. Most of the time, we're in each other's weddings. You know, we we we're there for you know the birth of our uh, teammates' children. We become a part of these people's lives. I mean, and in baseball is different because you spend a lot of time with each other. That's what eighty some games out there on the road with each other. So sometimes you develop a unique friendship. Dansby Swanson, when he's speaking, when he says nobody should wear number five, that's both as a player and. What he's grown to know as, as a really, really good friend. I mean, when little Charlie ran over to Dansby, it's almost like, you know, you say to yourself, look, man, Freddie Free is no longer brave. You know, you hate to see it, but you can't listen, if you can't root for Freddie Freeman, man, there's something there's something seriously wrong with you. But then Freddie Freeman show you why he's Freddie Free when he gets to the plate. It's almost like Freddie Freeman say, look, I can give y'all the festivities. I can, I can, I can you know, I can give y'all ain't ain't a dry in, you know, in in you know in Dodge Stadium right now. And he looking at Watch Carla. Like, you come with you you come with that thing. It's out of here. But I will say this: when you think about this Braves team, Kevin, when you think about a guy like Freddie Freeman, you like the fact that both you know Kenzie Jansen and uh, Freddie Free, both two two guys on different teams, they get to, they get to pay tribute to both. They did it the right way. You know, they didn't. Freddie Free is probably saying, "Look, I I ain't done this much media in a long time, man. I get I get the." Him keeping it honest about saying, look, man, I love the Braves, man. Yeah, let's not let the business of baseball get in the way of I love those dudes over there. And Freddie Free show you why he is who he is, both uh, you know, away from baseball and on the diamond. He he shows you why, you know, he's one of the best in the game, still doing it no matter if he's switching, you know, he's going from that that almost 
I want to, uh, that brave blue. That's almost a black blue to that, that Dodger blue. But yeah, Kevin, at the end of the day, it was it was it was business as usual. Wish the Braves would have Braves made a made a run of that thing at the end. But the Dodgers show you that no matter what, even with adding a Freddie Free, they're still the team to be in the National League. Yeah, and again, I, I I think last night it is what it is. You didn't pitch particularly well, and you went up against Clayton Kershaw, who pitched fairly good till late in the game when the Braves were able to get a couple homers off of him. Uh, they're late, but I mean, look, uh, most of the charge night, I'm interested to see kind of how it moves on here. Uh, Braves move on, and it probably. Nobody will be happier uh, for tomorrow afternoon at like 7 o'clock than everybody in the Braves uh, and Dodgers side when they're like, okay, now we don't have to see each other for till July and maybe not till – so I, I, because, again, everybody's – it's been kind of a build-up to this point where it's like Freddie Freeman playing the Braves, Kenley Jansen, I, I think for as much as Freddie Freeman is meant to the Braves, I mean, Kenley Jansen's been with the Dodgers his entire career yeah. uh, up until – uh, this off season, so uh, that had to be something uh, emotional for him, and I don't, he didn't get in the game, obviously. But I imagine when he does, it's going to be a, a special moment uh, for him, and hopefully, he gets in there tonight to uh, to save it out. But on the other side, I, I think again, I, we talked about this on the show yesterday. Such a a a natural uh, yin and yang. Like Matt Olson's just kind of there, like, look, I, I had nothing to do with this. You know, it's like, hey, they went out and and made this deal, then uh, and now I'm a brave and respects ready free. And how do you fill those shoes? By doing what he's doing, man. I, look, three for four last night, and you can talk about who isn't doing this, who isn't doing that. I mean, if there was anybody I was worried about feeling the pressure of coming in and producing, it was Matt Olson. Why? Well, because you're going to have Ronald Acuna in here. you got Ozzie Albies, who's been an all-star. you got Austin Riley, who was playing close to an MVP level last year and has gotten off to a really good start this year. Marcelo Zuna is back. Dansby Swanson uh, is, is a hometown uh, kind, of, kind of favorite, even though he gets a lot of criticism. Uh, he's been off to a slow start, and you're going, well, who's going to produce? Man, take some of the pressure off Matt Olson. Instead, it's been kind of the other way. It's been Matt Olson has been the guy being consistent while everybody, while a lot of other folks are struggling. Three for four last night, he's bang, 450. Mm. Uh, 452 to be pre- precise. Like, what more can you do? And I, I feel like it's just been an interesting dynamic because, uh, you know, when – when you're Matt Olson and now Freddie Freeman's back in the room, are you kind of standing there like, I'm just going to stand over here for a minute. Like, you know, I'm here, but I get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's got to be a weird moment where it's like everybody on your team's over there, you know, handing out love and dap. And I know Matt Olson went and said something to uh, to Freddie, and they talked. And, uh, you know, but that's still got to be weird uh, to, to to be there. Like, hey, there's the guy that played first base here for, you know, 11 years, and now he's right there. And, Obviously, everybody in this clubhouse loves him, and well, now I'm here. I'm the new guy, you know. So I think he's handled it, you know, really, really well. Yeah, Matt Olson has been a bright spot since he got picked up by the Braves. I mean, with so much that hasn't been going well, he hasn't been, he hasn't been one of those guys. Matt Olson is showing one. Look, I get it. I'm the guy that replaced the guy. I I, I get that part. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Freddie Freeman. I'm, I'm I guarantee you, Matt Olson. Listen, Matt Olson watched Freddie Freeman for two reasons. One, he played for the Braves as his hometown team. He played the same, same, you know, uh, same position. But Matt Olson's going about his business. It's almost like Kevin. It's been so much about Freddie Freeman. I just go about my business, man. Like I, I, I great plate appearances. I mean, playing great in the, out on the field. I mean, I, I, just, I just think that for a team like the Braves is Freddie Freeman, man, is one of the faces of baseball. He's the best first baseman in baseball. So no matter who replaced him, thank God it was Matt Olson. Yeah. Had it been, had it been an up and coming. 
first baseman, who would have known how much pressure? But it, but Matt Elson shows you, man, I was a good player on a bad team. Put me on a good team or a team that's supposed to contend. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I mean, Kevin, when you talk about the woes of guys like Daniel Swanson or Rosario, I mean, Matt Olson. I mean, listen, man, I could give y'all some of my bad average, and I'm I'm still <laughs> gonna be, you know, in the in the you know in the upper three hundreds. But yeah, he's been a, he's been a uh, a bright spot since he got here. The respect he showed Freddie Free, because you know, I'll, listen, it was a Freddie Freeman show before the game. I mean, I, really I, I, I ain't never really seen nothing like that. The respect that the Dodgers, because you're not gonna do that for any player. But Matt Olson going up to him, you know, he said, man, he said, look, man, it was a lot of laughs, a lot of cries, a lot of hugs. When Freddie Free said before the game, I mean, guys doing. You know, pregame press conferences like, look, man, can I, can I, I got, I got, the, I got my family out here. Can we get the baseball? But, but Matt Olson, I think, I think Kevin, to me, could he be, could he be that, could he be that trickle down effect for the rest of the team until a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back because he's been ball, like he's been balling. Like, if Matt Olson was a rookie, getting called up playing like this, how much more crazier would we be going? But because, oh well, do we expect that? Man, that's how good of a player he is. Like I said, he's no, he's no worst. Then the second, maybe third, third at worst, uh, uh, first baseman in baseball. But yeah, man, big night last night for the Dodgers. Big night last night for Freddie Free. The Dodgers obviously got got the dub. You know, it, it was it was the it was the it was the the Freddie Freeman fest before the game. But hopefully, Kevin, game two, you can put all that to the side. They can just go out there and try to get back to their winning ways. Yeah, and again, baseball is such a day everyday sport. You know, uh, you wonder if last night was like okay, there it is. And I and I thought that this we talked about yesterday. I really thought that this series would be the uh, the the turning point for Braves Nation with Freddie Freeman, kind of like, look, there he is. Fortunately, he had a home run on the first bat, but uh, you know, now that you've played, you've seen seen him in the Dodgers uh, gear and all that. Move forward, let's play, but let's settle in and play. Because again, I think this 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 season has been weird, Ben, because you're defending World Series champs. We talked about you got off to an interesting start, and again, you're not playing bad. I, I mean. There are aspects of your team that are not playing well. But the whole first week was a celebration of winning the World Series. And you brought Georgia into the mix and all that, celebrating their national championship. And then, you know, you had different things each and every day for six days, uh, seven days starting the season about winning the national, winning the World Series, which is important. I, I think everybody said, look, the Braves have done it right. But you can't tell me that that's not a distraction out of the gate and, you know, kind of set the table like this is what we got to do. And then you go out on the road. I think you had a good series with San Diego, nothing to be bad. And then you enter an emotional series with the Dodgers, who's who you beat to go to the World Series. Now, as you said, uh, we all know the story about Freddie Freeman being over there. To me, after this series, it's okay. Deep breath time. You get an off day. Now it's time to settle down and play baseball. Should have Ronald Acuna back uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, to me, you kind of feel like after this Dodgers series, first and foremost, you really start to settle into, all right, enough with the celebrating. We kind of had our tribute with Freddie Freeman, at least on the road. It's time to settle in and, and just get down to playing baseball. And, I, and I, again, nobody will ever say how much that yeah. is affecting guys, uh, Ben, as far as, hey, you know, there was a lot going on with people wanting to be in the yard when they got, you know, when we're raising the banner and having to get ticket requests and, man, let's pat ourselves on the back and all that. And, again, it, it's great, but there's a lot of people that all said the best thing for that team was to get out on the road and, uh, you know, go to San Diego and get away from some of that. And I think getting out of this series will be good for the Braves as well to kind of put that behind them. Hopefully they get a win or two here in these next two games. But uh, obviously last night, 
you kind of understood what the deal was. Yeah, you want to get back to some normalcy. I mean, what 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 did they, Kevin? You go you go to the what to, to the to the early days of spring, to the dog days of summer. Yep. Really, really fast when you talk about when you talk about baseball. But this has been a different year for the Braves. Good look. Since the '90s, man, most of these boys were born in the late '90s. Definitely early, you know, early to late '90s. So they grew up hearing about these great Braves teams, and this is, dare I say, this is second. This is second, you know, uh, coming of the of the of the of the of another dynasty. Now you got to get used to not the Braves. That got used to winning. They got used to winning the division. Okay, we are we going to the playoffs? All right, we get over the. All right, we realize that we can play with the Dodgers, beat the Dodgers, beat the Astros, beat the Brewers. Got it. Now is how do we handle? Now how do we handle being the top dog? Now, how do we handle uh, when it's one thing when expectations is growing, you know, you know, in Atlanta, true as I get it. Now it's everybody. Now it's the other twenty nine teams, and we put y'all on alert, man. We one of them ones because most play. Listen, most teams like the like the Tigers. They're not finna win anything. We're one of the upper echelons of the of the of, uh, of the MLB. But yeah, Kevin, getting back to some normalcy is gonna be great for them because baseball. We forget. I mean, I mean that's a lot of games, man. You just settle in, and the quicker they can settle in and start. You know, getting some, getting some wins, or stacking up some wins, because that I know we talking about the Dodgers and and uh, you know and the Padres, and they ain't no slouches, but that division ain't no slouch either. Like the Nats and and the freaking you know Fields and the Mets and the Marlins, it's not gonna be. You still expect the Braves to come out on top, but it's going to be a uphill battle this year trying to trying to win that division. Uh, certainly, we've got so much to get to here on the show. NFL Draft nine days out, Hawks in Miami, as we mentioned. Also, college football always in the news. And Bill Connolly with a column today at ESPN Plus uh, talking about could college football pull off a Super League? We'll get to that coming up when we return. It's three and out. Love to have you along here on this Tuesday. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you here three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Bill Connolly, uh, Ben. Uh, ESPN.com covers college football. Uh, says, did college football or could college football learn from the Euro soccer leagues when they tried to perform or try to perform, tried to form a super league? Remember that they went to some of the wealthiest clubs and biggest clubs and said, "Hey, we're just going to form a super league, and this is you know we we're we're going to put it together and we're going to make our own league," which would kind of uh, I think fans revolted over there uh, a little bit and they lost some of the PR battle of uh, you know. Uh, it would cause maybe the the downfall of some other leagues that fans have grown uh, accustomed to. But he writes, you know, could college football attempt to pull something like that off? And and I don't know that we're. I mean, I know people say no, it'll never happen. There's too much pageantry involved and all that. I'm sorry, I think some of that has gone out the window. Ben, I mean, I, I I I I'm not necessarily for it because again, I think that just you know it it makes another division, which maybe you need anyway. I mean, we talk all the time. Like I I think at some point you could. Take the top 62, 64 schools and just do your own thing. Uh, aside, well, I mean that's essentially a super league uh, if you want to look at it that way. Maybe it's a super league with conferences in it. But uh, you know, could college football get to that point where it's like, look, the divide between the, the the teams at the top and the ones in the middle is so great. There's not really a way to even that out without just overarchingly saying we're just going to come take money from you and uh, and and give it to other programs. Uh, you think college football could do something like that? Because people say, you know. It's all about tradition. I'm sorry. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are about to be in the SEC. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we've seen it all the time. Pitt and West Virginia are playing this year as old rivals. This is the first time they've played in, I think, five or six years because they just decided to stop playing. Texas and Texas A&M said, we're not playing anymore uh, when Texas A&M 
left for the so I don't know that the modern day and age uh, administrator person in charge of college football gives a rip about tradition and history on the whole for college athletics or college football. No, there is, there is no tradition. I mean, I, it, there's we, some, but there, not, there is there is some. I, but the, the only thing, the only pageantry around the tradition now is you know what rivalry week. I mean, it, it's not it's not like it, it's not like it once was. And it could it happen? Yes, because I think what happens is too. You know, Bill Conley. He, he Bill Conley. What, what he really does? Bill Conley. Like he, he's a controversial one to try to do uh, sure. top one hundred. And when I say controversial, I don't mean he say things that are like you know crazy. I just think that he's putting it out there. He's like, listen. It's not likely to happen, but it could. Yeah, I mean, of course. Look at look at the recruiting rankings. Why why do we why do we think about this? We go crazy on early signing day and national signing day now. Why? Because that's what it's about. Oh my God! It's it's like the perception, the perception, the perception. Who's gonna have a chance to win the national championship if you're not in the southeast? Ohio State, USC. Depending on what happened with Lincoln Riley, right? But it ain't even about that though. It ain't even about that either. It becomes like you said, Kevin. It, it becomes this. There's a difference in having to share and wanting to share. They don't want to share that money. The reason why it's going the way it's going because it's just like it's just like the NCAA tournament. The blue blood's gonna rise to the top. They're gonna end up winning it, the, the Cinderella. But the Cincinnati's of the world, they keep on breaking in and kind of showing. Wait a minute, we're gonna lose the perception of you know. Well, we kind of gained that perception back of you know it's it's equal across the board. It's equal opportunity. It's not. And Kevin, I think you make a good point. There are brands out there that think their brand is a part of the fabric of college football. It's not. And Vanderbilt's of the world don't benefit from stuff like this, right? The Mississippi States of the world won't benefit from this. The bottom, because this is going to be about who's the biggest brand, who are the top. Yeah, we'll be, know, yeah. Six, basically, this is an NCAA tournament in, uh, uh, football style, but now we got 64 teams that are going to say, hey, man, if you do not get an invite, yeah, <laughs> do not. And don't I don't even know us. if it would be that big, but I mean, you you start looking at it, and I know, uh, you know, Christian was uh, debating us with us, uh, you know, earlier before uh, second down, and said, "Look, it's it's not going to happen." I'm like, I mean, it's not. I mean, the SEC is about to have 16 teams in it, uh, ten of which are pretty big brands uh, in terms of high profile, yeah, state schools, yeah. Uh, Fla- that, the that, flagship universities in these states, yeah, that that, that you know are going to pull in, uh, you know, top dollars regardless, but uh, are certainly going to be uh, of interest in terms of uh, finances, in terms of what they offer. I mean, when you look at the SEC, uh, and again, I, I say this just think about it: how many more schools would the SEC have to add? I'm just throwing this out there mm-hmm. to form a super league. How many more? I mean, four, six. Four. Could you get the top dogs in college football by adding six teams? Yeah. And well, really, I say that I, because this is honestly, if you didn't care about, uh, you know, people being in, I think you could add eight and probably kick out two, and maybe yeah. maybe three and, yeah. and, and uh, three or four. So I mean, I, I I think you could certainly do that. But again, you're at sixteen teams. If you're you're looking at it saying, oh, there would never be a super league in college football. Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Florida. Kentucky, South Carolina, Arkansas. I, I didn't just name off states. Like, I'm not na- Missouri. I'm not naming off states. I am, but I'm naming off schools. Those are huge schools that bring in lots yes. of money. It's like, there is, if you wanted to do this, it's not implausible that if you were like the SEC to say, look, with about the addition of six to eight schools, we could do it. And, 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 and don't think that can't happen. Nobody, I mean, 
If you'd have told people back in 2004 the SEC was going to have 16 teams, a lot of people would have looked at you and going, "That's you're kind of crazy." Well, and, here we and, are and, on, and, on but the look, cusp but look, of it. But look at the SEC strategy. Somebody go, "Well, how did you kind of see this coming?" I mean, did the SEC really want Texas A&M? Did they really want Mizzou? Yes and no. Yes, they want to Texas A&M because it's in the great state of Texas. Yes, they want Missouri because that gives you a different region of the country. But then they was like, "Look, man, we really want Texas and Oklahoma. Well, how are you gonna get them to come?" What do you mean how we're going to get them to come? It's almost like a plan goes in place a long time ago, and then you, it's like the narratives help the perception of it. Oh, it's, it's college football and the SEC. Oh, because they're getting this, they're getting that. Alabama definitely helps out with that. You look at you look at what you know, LSU did, and they had like seven straight years, and the SEC won the national championship. And I think who broke it up was uh, Auburn uh, losing to uh, Florida State. But, Kevin, you make a good point. Look, when you start talking about the powers that be, there aren't a lot – the P5, is it what it used to be? Nope. The P5, does it have the same luck? Nope. Because think about it. Big 10, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. That's it. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even put Michigan State in there. I, I mean, you, Michigan State might get in. Because maybe what, a Wisconsin, may, but may, I wouldn't may, even go that, that far. Oh, okay. Take it a step further. Here you go. The Big 12, right? Oklahoma, Texas. Oh, well, they coming over to the SEC, so they're gone. So your your two biggest cash cows, your two biggest brands, is gone, right? Not and and look at what the SEC is really doing. Not only are they the biggest brands in college in the state, they're the biggest brands in the state. Florida is the biggest brand in the state of Florida. Georgia is the biggest brand in the state of Georgia. Oklahoma is the biggest brand in Texas is a bigger brand than Texas A&M. Texas A&M just got the better recruiting class, but that's but but how much difference is it going to be for Texas A&M when Texas can recruit in the SEC? That's going to be different. So I, I do I, – I can see – it's not going to happen right now, Kevin, but you know just like I know. The right people get in the room. Yeah. And you, Enough AKA, ideas AKA, get floated around right AKA, AKA Greg Sankey and those guys. Greg Sankey is the, Greg Sankey is the all-time leader at hide-and-seek. You ain't finding this dude. Though. He, he keeps things under wraps. But it goes back to – it goes back to what we've been saying about – you, like you said – it's the perception of college. It's the perception of the NCAA dwindling every single day. Sure, I mean, because because there's like you say, you say, look, look, look. We get the umbrella that is the NCAA, but Mark Emmer might be the most irrelevant, you know, commissioner or president in sports. Because like, what does he do? Well, I mean, that's I, I think what you said is correct. I mean, given how rapidly college athletics has changed, um, you now have sixteen team leagues. I mean, the ACC, for all intents and purposes, uh, is fifteen. Uh, is a 15-team league. Uh, so I, I look at it and say, with name, image, likeness coming into play, with you know all the marketing stuff that's coming into play, I, I don't think it's that implausible uh, to, to, to have a group of schools potentially say, can we just Super League this thing and, for lack of a better phrase, make all the money. You pay, pay the money we need to pay, i.e. the players, make all the money, and and go from there. And, I don't again, I don't. People say, I mean, you hear people every once in a while, it's like, hey, we need to look out for the good of the game. Well, there's people that say that, but who actually is? And I'm not saying that to criticize anybody because these presidents, these athletic directors, these chancellors are saying, we want to do what's right by the game. Well, what if that means you make less money? Oh, no, we didn't say that. We didn't mean that. What if, I mean if the bottom line had to move down a little bit? No, <laughs> no, 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 we didn't, no, we didn't say that. Yeah, we just say so. I think you're always being driven by money and making more of it. Unfortunately, uh, and I don't know who. When people say who's looking out for the game, probably not anybody at this point that can make a huge difference because 
whoever's looking out for the game probably isn't being paid very, very nope. much and probably doesn't have a voice at the table of the guys who are like, hey, this is the bottom line. This is what we've achieved. This is what we want to maintain and try to grow. That's, I mean, they are being run like businesses, and the goal of most businesses is to meet a standard and raise it and raise it and raise it. So, I, 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 again, I, I don't think there's something that's going to happen in the next year, but I don't think it's implausible that somebody might have the bright idea to say, well, look, man, like we already have 16, 12 of which are the top 12 in the top 15 biggest schools in terms of financial dollars and, and things of that nature. How many more do we need to get just to make one league? And just We'll have all the money. Like I, I don't think that's implausible. We've got so much to get to. NFL draft is coming up in nine days. we got take three coming around the corner, but NFL draft. What about those Falcons sitting at number eight? We had a lot of folks on the show say the Falcons kind of set the tone potentially for the draft, but what is that best way to go about it for Atlanta? We'll hit that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back. Three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. The NFL draft coming up in nine days, Ben. Falcons sit there at number eight. What's the best strategy here for Atlanta nine days out? Because they can literally pick anybody. Uh, Obviously, with Marcus Mariota as your quarterback, you didn't have money to go out and sign a lot of significant free agents. You're in... You're in a rebuild. Contrary to what some of the Falcons players might say on Twitter, Ben, uh, you are in a rebuild. What what is the what is the best strategy for Atlanta here? <clears throat> Kevin, you kind of you kind of winning me over with this draft back because I say this. Okay, number one, you in a you in a you in a you are in a good spot. You are number eight, which means okay, you seven guys gonna go, and I I could be wrong, but I think two of them gonna be quarterbacks when it's all said and done. I think. Detroit gets a quarterback. I think even maybe Carolina gets a quarterback. So, in a sense, you weren't going quarterback. At least, at least I don't think. Yeah. So, that means that five guys, one maybe offensive lineman, one. If Kayvon Thibodeau was there, you get him. And, and Kevin, I feel bad for Kayvon if he does. One, no, I'm happy and I'm sad for him. One, I'm happy if he goes <laughs> because we finally got him. But two, is he the savior for the defensive end position? We will see. Now, if Kyle Hamilton is there, I think you take a strong look at him. I mean, you can't. I mean, six four, two twenty. You know, just a just a just a enforcer on the back end. I think you go with him. Outside of that, I mean, Drake London. You know, I mean, Garrett Wilson. I like. Listen, I like Sauce Gardner, but if he goes number eight, what what does he have around him? So, if if the defensive end is there, if the safety is there. Now, I don't think this is going to happen. If Evan Neal is there, if something crazy happens, I think you get him. I think you get an Evan Neal. Now, outside of that, you got you got, you got got a generational safety. You got you got a guy in Kayvon Thibodeau who, to me, is good enough to be number one overall pick. And the guy who went from being number one, I don't know what happened to Evan Neal. He just dropped. If he drops, yes. But if not, Kevin, you take some serious uh, phone calls on, you know, you know, moving back, adding some draft picks because you know – so, like I know, they're gonna have to contribute. You was going through uh, the twenty twenty uh, the twenty twenty one class, and outside of Kyle Pitts, was a lot of production. And that's not those guys' fault, by the way. I don't expect a you know Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson got everybody think you're gonna have all pro receivers their rookie year. Kyle Pitts got everybody think you're gonna have a thousand yard tight end. No, rookies it take a little while to figure the game out. The game got to slow down. My my talent got to get up. I got to get. So I will say if if you ain't Thibodeau, Neil, Hamilton, 
you know, uh, yes, you go with those three guys if they're there. If not, man, move back because no matter who you get outside of those guys, they're gonna be they're gonna be a, a, a opening day starter. But if I can add value. Because the only reason why we signed the whole 2021 class is because you got rid of Julio. You're still looking real bad when it comes to the cap space. You're still bad. So <clears throat> how many guys that came over from Atlanta, I mean, come and came to Atlanta, ain't signed one-year deals? It's not because they ain't good enough. They ain't got no money. Like, we ain't got a lot of money left. So I think if you can get some draft equity by drafting back in number eight, if the guy that you want isn't there, you do that. But if Thibodeau is there, Neil is there, Hamilton is there, you get them because I think three, all three of those guys, one, Neil makes it so that, man, listen, what? I mean, play and plug him at right tackle, man. I mean, right now, sure. I, know, I know he's a left tackle, but you're playing plug him right now. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, you put him on that back end. You say, look, man, we're going we gonna to let you go out there and do what you do. A guy that can nothing cheap, nothing deep, but definitely a box safety as well. 6'4", like a Cam Chancellor, but more athletic. For those of you who remember Cam Chancellor out of Virginia Tech and obviously the career he had with Seattle. And Kayvon Thibodeau, I just don't understand it, man. People say, I got Aiden Hutchinson graded lower than, uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. Why you got Aiden Hutchinson number one? I don't know. I don't know either. Because <laughs> I've seen Kayvon Thibodeau since the opening day he got in Eugene. And you see what he's doing now. So, yeah. Well, DN, safety, O-lineman. If not, I think you draft That was my big back. question for you was, is there a guy that you just you have to have if he's there in the top ten? I think you said there's maybe two or three guys. But by and large, what we've heard about this draft bin is it's deep. It may be not top-end good. You know, like, it may not be one of those where it's like, hey, the top-end is really, really good, but you can get a similar type player all the way down at 30, 32 in the second round. And so, does that make it harder to trade back? Maybe, because somebody's got to be willing to, to, to step up. But to me, when you look at a team that's in a clear rebuild, nobody will say that officially because that's a dirty word, but do you try to get to uh, move back and get a first next year, i.e. two first-round picks? And you say, well, what good is two? You get two starters. Or or let's just say Marcus Mariota does what I've saw, seen a couple of people say was, Marcus Mariota's not great, but he's good enough to get you to six wins. Uh-oh. What does that mean? That means you're not up there near the top to go after a quarterback. You're like, if you have two first-round picks, you could package those and move up and get a quarterback if you so desire to do so. So to me, uh, you know, it, it gives you options going into next year's draft. You're committed uh, to kind of stinking, quite frankly. Um, and you could potentially get even another pick in this year's draft and just add add players and bodies and see who sticks uh, in, in their bin. So, uh, again, it's, it's one of those things where we have people that call the show and go, man, I think they should trade back. Well, sometimes that's easier said than done. Somebody has to want your pick. And when you're looking at draft class like this where people say it's not uberly you know, top-end talented, but it's deep, like, you could get a lot of really good players. Why would you move up? Like, if I'm sitting at 13, I think I could get a similar player as I could at 8. Why would I trade draft equity with the Falcons unless there was a player sitting there I just have to have? So how, how, I, I'm big on a trade back. If, if you're committed to, to, to not being very good, I won't say the tanking word, but if you're committed to, hey, look, our expectation is we're not going to be very good, I would try to move back, package picks, uh, maybe get two first-rounders next year, and give you the option of two first-round picks where there's a lot of good talent, uh, especially at the quarterback spot for next year. Maybe you could package those to move up if you really want one because, I mean, I think we all know Marcus Mariota is not the seven- to eight-year answer at quarterback for Atlanta. I, 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 mean, I, I, I mean, that's not a big secret. It's not. It's not. But, Kevin, you, look, you, you put your GM hat on. You, you look at – the thing about the draft is this. The draft is the present and the future all at the same time. 
which one of these guys can help us now and which one of these guys can develop to be a pro bowl, all pro. You know, you 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 never can foresee the all pro how how a person projects, but at the same time, when when listen, have you ever heard Matthews even mention the word rebuild? I heard him say it today. Oh, then we didn't even think about the rebuild. The hell you not, you just said it. Of course you are. But I just think that once again, the, the thing that really hurts Atlanta the most is no matter the ice. He man, he shirt up a lot of a lot of holes. I think that if you can – I want more picks. So if I can move back and get more picks, guys that can – because if the draft is – and I do think it's deep, you're going to get quality late. These guys are under rookie deals. They, sal- they, they, they salary cap friendly. They can become really, really good players. And I, if, if I'm coming from a guy that was on a very, very – on the two youngest teams in 2004 and 2005 – you're gonna go through some growing pains, but when you see where those guys end up, all right. A lot of listen, ain't but one team gonna win it. Atlanta wasn't gonna win the division because Tom Brady's back with <laughs> let's not kid ourselves here. But if I am building for the future in the present, give me some young guys that I can show the ropes, show how to be a pro, show how how it goes to being a professional, learn how to take your bumps and bruises. That way, Kevin, hopefully, I don't know, 2023, if you win one of these quarterback sweepstakes. Do you use some of these picks, these future first-round picks, to move up to get a, I don't know, a Stroud or get a, a Bryce Young? Who who knows? But I, I, I will say that Atlanta, you're not going anywhere soon in 2022. We all get it. So if you know you're not going anywhere soon, don't waste draft picks on a high draft pick that's that's going to struggle anyway because who's going to take him under his wing unless it's like a Kayvon Thibodeau. So Thibodeau, Hamilton, Neal, if not, Dre Pack. Because if there is there is going to be a lot of depth in this draft, hey, because like I said, maybe you go out there and get you a running back in the third round, fourth round. Well, we've heard now. people say, you know, a George Pickens could potentially slide yeah. to the second round. Like yeah. there's a, so I, many I think, wide I think he is going to be a second rounder. I mean, this is what people don't get. If 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 you're number one or number two, if you're ranked number one or number two at your position on both sides of the ball, right? Both sides of the ball. Last time I checked, you know, I mean, that's 44 people. That's already well into the second round. And we're and we talking about number one, number two quarterback. All right, they go two, number one. And he's just going down every single position. George Pickens is what? I don't know. The fifth, sixth rank receiver. He's not going first round. Now, is he a first round talent? Yes. But he's also been hurt. So you get him in the second round, right? And I and I do think that when you when you look back on your draft, you say, hey, man, we added a draft pick for 2023 in the first round. We moved back in the draft to add draft equity. We got guys with first-round talent in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round. We've added depth. And they rookies, that is a good draft because, unfortunately, with the Julio Jones the contract and obviously the Matty Ice, that put them in a hole financially to give guys that old, that much money late in their careers. So now they got to be now they got to be smart. But, yeah, I do think drafting back. And, Kevin, look, I say this. Even if Thibodeau is there, if you, if you know – we build it for the future. Hey, man, we try to draft back. We try to get – because you don't think those extra draft picks help? At, okay. Ask Jacksonville right now. They got all, they got all them they draft got like picks. They got like 10 or 11 you, you get to see. Yeah, we've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Well, it is early, Ben, but the Braves apparently have made a few moves uh, already after the performance yesterday. Uh, Waskari Noah optioned to AAA Gwinnett and Sean Newcomb designated for assignment. So if nobody picks him up, he can sign back with the Braves minor leagues. But uh, jettisoning two pitchers 
This early in the season, Oscar now 0 and 2 at ERA 13 and a half. And the Braves bringing up Tukey. Tukey, Tukey. Tukey and, uh, and left hander Dylan Lee to go in the uh, in the bullpen. So there you go. Braves not wasting any time saying, look, we've seen enough. Uh, either go down to AAA and figure it out or or you won't be back. The life, the life of a, the life of a major league pitcher, the life of a major leaguer, is rough. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, most of the time, there there is no call downs. So uh, you don't go, you don't go to the D League in basketball. You don't go back to the XFL, USFL, uh, CFL if you are football. In baseball, you are on top today. You are in AAA tomorrow, and you either get it right or get gone. Because one thing about it, we, we always talk about Kevin. The bulk of any roster in baseball is pitching. Most of those guys are pitchers. Waskar Noah, I mean, a guy that was, you know, obviously has not had his best stuff early. To me, I, I wonder, Kevin, because they're coming off a World Series, how much, how much less is the patience level? Because look, now I get us 162 opportunities, but dude, we got to look the part every night. But ERA at 13, yeah. my God, he's going to have that, to figure it out quick. Well, I think if that was anybody, World Series or not, you'd be like, I mean, if we were on a projected last place team, I think maybe they might let you go another one or so, but. Yeah, you can only ride with that for so long. It's like, hey, that's two starts, and you've collectively given us about six total innings. That's not going to play, especially when you're playing as many games and many days as the Braves are. And Sean Newcomb's just struggled. Uh, I think he struggled to find his spot, find his home uh, with the Atlanta Braves. So maybe a good thing. He gets DFA'd. He can sign with another club if he wants, get a change of scenery, and, and go from there. You see that happen all the time. Ben, where, you know, hey, just for whatever reason, I got out of there. I went over here. It was something fresh, and I'm playing a lot better. You know, just that 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 change of scenery. I mean, look, I, I, Sean Newcomb, what a difference a year makes. I mean, you talk about a guy that was definitely integral, you know, last year, Kevin. And and that's the thing, right? That's the, the thing. Nobody knows the business of of, of sports more than a, than a major league pitcher. I mean, especially if you get called down. If he goes to a different club, I mean, we, is he is he a different dude? I don't know. But the pressure, the, you don't think it's pressure to be a Braves pitcher? You crazy? You kidding yourself? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of stuff to uh, to live up to there. Your World Series champs, you got. Everybody, and again, I think some of it too is, hey, Max Fried's zero and two coming into tonight's uh, ball game. He's pitched all right, uh, you know. Kyle Wright's pitched pretty well. I think they're looking for guys who could be consistent, right? The back end of that bullpen is is too good. If we can't ever use them, then what good is it, right? I mean, if we can't ever turn it over to him with a lead, yeah, then what good is it? I so, mean, do they make? Do they? How, Kevin? You know, I mean, how much easier, I guess, do they make that decision for a guy like Snit to say, look, man, I mean. You, it's like, you know I love you, but what you are on that well, mound I mean, is what you are. I mean, to me, if you're a major leaguer and the manager calls you in his office and goes, hey, man, you're 0-2, your ERA's 13, and you, you haven't got out of the third inning yet. Yeah, coach, I know what's about to happen. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, the, the, the Gwinnett Stripers are in Jacksonville. Uh, and enjoy playing the, uh, the Jumbo Shrimp. And, you know, for Sean Newcomb, it's one of those things where he was out of options. The Braves didn't have a choice. If they didn't want him on the major league roster and he's not pitching at a level that they find major league ready, well, then you have to cut him. And so he's out there, can sign with anybody, and, you know, you wish him the best of luck. And if he wants to come back, I think through the rules, you can. he's got to clear everybody passing on him, but uh, he can sign a minor league tender to come back and pitch in the minor leagues for the Braves. But I think for Sean Newcomb, it might just be, hey, change the scenery, try it with somebody else, and, uh, and see if you can't uh, get it turned around. we got so much to get to. Here on 3 and Out Ben, take three right around the corner. Uh, we'll talk with Rich Stiles next hour. Jordan Spieth back in the win column after winning at the uh, Heritage on Hilton Head. And Demetrius Harvey, big cat country, uh, going to join us. We talked about whether the Falcons do it, number one. I mean, the Jags, they're picking at number one. Most people think it's Aiden Hutchinson. But what about the rest of the draft? 
Uh, because you have, as been said earlier, a lot of picks. A lot of picks. How good can you, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to build depth? Are you looking for guys that can come in and be, as been said, rookie deal guys who can turn into starters uh, down the road? What are you doing uh, in this draft? What are you looking for after number one? We'll talk to Demetrius Harvey about that coming up a little bit later in the show. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, on your mobile device with the ESPN app. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out on this Tuesday, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Rich Stiles coming up in about 30 minutes. Also, the Hawks in Miami, game two tonight of that series. Got to do better if you are Atlanta. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Also, 912-342-7184, 912-342-7184. Love to hear from you Braves fans after last night's Freddie reunion. Are you, you feeling better about it? Are you kind of ready to move on uh, from all the, uh, the, the Freddie Freeman? We'll get to that. Love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter as well, at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio, or comment on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, YouTube. You can watch our live streams going on there as well. Ben, let's take three here on 3 and Out. Take one, USFL debuted this weekend, XFL debuting next year. The Rock and company putting out after week one of the USFL say, hey, you know, we're going to pay better. Uh, we'll pay your whole housing. Uh, you know, our season will give you more time to – be ready for the National Football League. You play with us. Who's going to win that battle? USFL backed by Fox, NBC, or the XFL? It's going to be the XFL. <clears throat> and the reason why is that sometimes people think, well, the USFL, they get a full year. They kind of, you know, kind of get a, you know, a full year ahead of XFL. No, the XFL is sitting back taking notes. The XFL has already did certain things. They've already said, okay, if everything you say, I counteract that. USFL say we pay a part of your uh, a part of your rent, you know, at the hotel you stand at, XFL say say we give you free housing. USFL comes out and say you make forty five hundred dollars a game with incentives if you win a game. XFL says we're gonna pay you more than that. USFL didn't really get into its benefits package. XFL said we're gonna have a better benefits package. The XFL has come out and saying we are making sure that guys are in the best possible position to go to the National Football League if and when they do want to do that. And we partner with the NFL and. Uh, you know, we made it so we partnered with the NFL alumni. So I, and number one, too, Kevin, I don't know who's over the USFL, but I do know when it comes to the XFL, Danny Garcia and The Rock, they got reputations. You know, just like anybody, The Rock says, I'm going to use my money, my power, my influence, and my reputation to make sure that my league supersedes. And it's not as if the XFL wasn't doing well the time before. It just, I mean, unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. I feel bad for the USFL because while them jumping out early, everything is in Birmingham and – you know, the reason why, you know, I'm 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 gonna be uh excited to see what they do with the cameraman in week two. Cause if the Birmingham, if the Birmingham team ain't playing, you're not you don't want to see the stands because it's bare. And you know, you could pack stadium on Friday night. What else is everybody else doing? I know high school football and different things. Birmingham is a nice size city. You know, they call it the Magic City. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, but I, I mean, like you said, you have a team that is called the Birmingham team. Nobody's gonna root for the other team, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And and I, I just think too, you know, with a guy like uh, Dan, you know, somebody like Danny Garcia, who's who's obviously she's a, she's obviously a big time businesswoman, very successful. The Rock, who I mean, unless you live under a rock, you don't know. Everybody knows who this guy is. He's gonna use all they can. So unfortunately for the USFL, 
Kevin, right now they don't got competition, but come 2023, I mean, you look at when they came out and, and announced the coaches. Oh, Heinz Ward. Oh, Rod Wilson. Oh, Anthony Beck. Oh, Wade Phillips. You know, uh, I, I just uh, – oh, Bob Stoops. You got the you got the names with the coaches. Then you gonna have the, you got the the, the teams of different cities. Now you got the Rock Danny Garcia. Now they and every NFL player gets an automatic XFL contract at the end of every season, starting next year. That stuff is bulletproof. Sorry, USFL. Yeah, you gonna have you gonna have to you gonna have to go back there and I, do a better business plan. I think the USFL did what the AAF did was they tried to beat the XFL out, and they did that. But you weren't ready again. You gave your guys what three weeks to get ready for the season. Yeah. I think. The XFL 2.0 was much better than the XFL 1.0. Why? Because you tried to rush out XFL 1.0. You didn't have practice time. A lot of it really didn't know who the teams were, the coaches, up until like, what, two, uh, three weeks, a month before the first game. And you go, why is the football bad? XFL 2.0, I think they got two, three months to work together and come up with game plans and knew the rules, got plenty of scrimmage games and practice times uh, before they ever got to play, Ben. And week one, you had a much better product uh, at the end of the day. With the with the type of football that was being played, so I thought that was bad. I think the XFL is going to win this thing in a uh, in a big way uh, when it comes back. Not that the spring leagues ever got. I mean, people say, "Oh, it's never going to compete with the NFL." I don't think uh, if you talk to the Rock, he's trying to. Exactly. I think that's uh, that's the uh, that's the big caveat versus you know Vince McMahon. I'm creating a football league. No, the Rock says, "Look, I'm smart enough to know we're not going to knock the big dog off, but we can." Make sure he shares some of his food with us. You know, and we can we can work together. We can work together and make it happen. Moving along, take two. Candle Hawks afford another subpar Trey Young game in game two. He was what one of twelve shooting yeah. eight points in game one. Hawks got blown out. They cannot. Trey Young understands that he is the he is the alpha dog for the for the Atlanta Hawks. That uh, he knows that he's going to have to show why he is a superstar. Superstars find ways to adjust. I mean, Jimmy Butler and company. You understand those guys went with the notion of. We're going to kind of do what, you know, even though it's different, what the Detroit Pistons used to do against Michael Jordan back in the day. They said, listen, man, it's Jordan rules, Trey Young rules. We're going to, listen, we're going to follow it. We're going to hack it. We're going to make sure life is very, very frustrated. We're not going to let him create his own shots. And in the midst of all that, we're going to get so frustrated with us. He can't be the distributor he is for the guys around him. Trey Young is the engine that makes it. Is the engine that, uh, that you know that makes it all go for the Atlanta Hawks? I thought that it was going to go more the, the role players around him, Kevin. But they said, listen, Trey is the one. He is the he is the one that makes everything go. Yes, he's gonna he subpar. Listen, he gonna have a he gonna have to listen. Trey, act as if you're playing the Madison Square Garden. That's the Knicks. <laughs> that's not the Hawks. Go out there and do your thing. But he's a superstar. I mean, he's he's been he's been that size his whole life. He knows how to adjust. I think he's gonna be just fine. And again, I think for the Hawks, if uh, you've had such an interesting run thus far, two one and done games. Uh, to get to this point, and now you're playing the one seed, which, again, a lot of people would say may not even be the best team in the East as the one seed, but a pretty good team, a really good team in Miami. Got to take one here in game number two. Moving along, take three. Ben, what is your confidence level in the Atlanta Falcons and their draft abilities? Terry Fondo, I, I got a lot of confidence in him. Terry Fondo was brought over because he could see the future coming. Terry Fondo is, is a guy that's responsible for what you've seen with Sean Payton, with Drew Brees and company over there in New Orleans. Spent like 18 years over there. I'm, I'm confident in him. I think, Kevin, he last year he learned a lot. He says, all right, we got the guy we covered in Kyle Pitts. But this was thinking that it was going to be able to, you know, that's before you got rid of a Julio Jones. That's when you didn't uh, know you were going to have uh, Matty Ice moving forward. And you didn't know Calvin Ridley was going to go yeah, missing. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and that's nothing. We, we just completely forgot about Calvin Ridley's going to miss an entire year. Uh, you know, because of, you know, off the field infractions with gambling and things of that nature. But Terry Fondo understands how to build. And if you don't got your quarterback, you got to build from, you know, you still want to build from the inside out. I got confidence in him. 
he he uh he has to figure out what he want to do. Do I use his eighth pick to to move back to get other picks, or if I got the guy covered at number eight, I go ahead and pick that guy because look, I, I mean we all know it's reloading uh, in Atlanta right now and Flowery Branch right now, but I have a lot of confidence in Terry Fontenot. He's you don't spend eighteen years in the International Football League in the front office not understanding how to put together a team. Is Marcus Mariota uh, Drew Brees? Nope. Uh, you know, is 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 uh, you know, is uh, Cordell Patterson, you know, uh, Alvin Kamara? Nope. But at the same time, you got to, you know, he's going to be able to build through the draft. Hopefully, get some get some quality picks in the latter rounds that that uh, go out there and shock people. But yeah, I do got confidence in him. I think he understands a slow and steady approach, and I don't think Arthur Smith is going to get judged fully on last year and even this season because you, last year you had Matty Ice with no help. This year you got Marcus Mariota with a bunch of you know uh, really veteran no guys. Yeah, a bunch of veteran guys. You know, and Cordell Patterson and Kyle Pitts. We'll see what happens, but I do have confidence in him. I, I'm going to say I'm going to withhold judgment on on them for uh, for a little bit. One, because as you said, last year was interesting. I, I do find it somewhat disconcerting that out of your draft picks, you really got contra- significant contribution from two of them. I mean, Richie Grant was your second-round draft pick, and I know people will say, well, if you're starting a bunch of rookies, that's bad. Well, it's not that they were starting Really wasn't playing a whole lot. Didn't make a whole lot of plays. The other guy that played a lot was Jalen Mayfield, and he was a tackle who you put at guard and was best known early in the season for getting absolutely embarrassed. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, so, so, yeah. so, so I look at that and say, outside of Kyle Pitts, which again, great on the yardage, you really didn't. I think that's more of a question for Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith, he had, he had 1,000 yards receiving, one touchdown. Like, we didn't draft this guy at number eight. To get us all the way down the field, we drafted number eight to do that and get in the end zone. And we got to figure out a way to do that. And I think if you're Marcus Mariota, that's a guy I'm, I'm looking at. But outside of your first-round draft pick, who didn't impact the scoreboard for you, I mean, you can say he impacted games. Is that a fair statement? He impacted games, just not the scoreboard. Yes. Which... I that, think you'd rather impact the scoreboard. That, that's that, than, I mean, that's I mean, the whole name of the game. That's what that perception thing is not. I mean, we You're, get caught. We get we get enamored about these numbers. And I go, look, man, first downs, touchdowns. I'm moving the chain. Your 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 second round pick was a backup, you know, safety who I think may have had 30 tackles. You go, well, that 30 tackles. They played 17 games. I mean, so do the quick math. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not that's not even two tackles yeah, a game. Yeah, that's, that's from from a guy who's supposed to be coming up and helping and run support and things. So he didn't really contribute. Mayfield outside of that. Uh, you drafted a receiver who had one catch on a team that was dying for somebody to make a play. You drafted a receiver that had one catch uh, in the seventh, in the sixth round. So you, you just, to me, you go back and you didn't have a lot of guys as yeah. rookies yeah. that made everything that you look at in the stat sheet would say this is either garbage time, maybe special teams. Just did not make any kind. Of, and I know they can't all be starters, Ben, but you just. When you have a draft class with what seven, eight guys, and really two of them play significantly, you got to do a little better than that. So I withhold judgment, knowing that these guys probably outside of whoever the first pick is, or if you trade back, you're not going to. But how do those guys develop and become starters? Because again, anybody can draft. We talk about that. I mean, Jacksonville Trip Balky drafted guys. Didn't even play. Didn't even pan out. I mean, James. I remember James Harris. Uh, Shaq Harris was the GM in Jacksonville. Uh, several years ago. He drafted guys. People said he was good. And by and large, they just never seemed to work out. So I think that's what you're looking to see is you got to have more than one or two guys get on the field and contribute. And Jalen Mayfield was an unpolished 
uh, product and really a, a big disaster, what, for the first three or four, five weeks of the season. So even really with him playing as much, he was more of a liability early, which you would expect from a rookie, but sort of kind of came into his own towards the end uh, of the season, which you hope it's year two is better, but I'm withholding judgment on the Falcons and their drafting abilities. Terry Fano, he, he, he definitely got an uphill battle. Because he's, I mean, I know. While I know that a guy like Trent Baalke is dealing with the two back-to-back number one overall picks, I mean, Atlanta's not far from it because you don't got your key cog and a guy like uh, Matty Ice. Matty Ice showed up a lot of holes. I know you guys gonna keep hearing me saying that, but when you got a total different offense, yeah, I mean, well, total, I mean, total I, mean I think Kyle Pitts was a good pick. I'm not, he was, I'm he not was, disputing he was. that. I'm not. But, say, I, I, but, I, I think, but I think what it is with the Kyle Pitts is right, Kevin. We get enamored with did he have a good season? It's not the same as did he have a good year. He had a good season, but. One t- one touchdown, you know, overseas, it's not gonna cut it. I mean, people are like, what would you rather have? A thousand yard receiver, a thousand yard, a thousand receiving yards. How many of those are first downs? How many of those are th- on third down? And how many of those, you know, are, are, are touchdowns? I want double digit touchdowns means I'm affecting every single game because you look at Atlanta last year. He was able to do what he did because he had a veteran presence like a guy like Matty Isaac can get in the rock. Now you got Marcus Mariota, and they know you the focal point. They know you the number. One. They know you the best player on offense, not named Marcus Mariota. And you bring back a Cordero Patterson who said people like as great as he was last year, that was his best year as a pro. Stats wise. So and that was because, you know, him and Mike Davis, I don't I don't yeah, know if they no, make a, I mean, I get it. Look, know, I, so. my, my my thing is here with, with Terry Fontenot is you have two things that are about to define you as a general manager. Whether you do this in free agency or in a draft. Whoever you take as a defensive end, because the Falcons have not been able to develop one. They've I mean they've been drafting plenty. But they have not been able to develop and keep a consistent defensive end. Nobody left because the Falcons didn't want to pay him, right? They left because they weren't cutting the mustard. And two, whatever you decide to do at quarterback, that just goes for every GM. But yeah. I mean, especially obviously with the Falcons, you lose, you made the decision to trade Matt Ryan. What do you do at quarterback? If it's not this year, it's next year, and you're going to be judged on that. How that guy pans out and what you do at defensive end. So two very big moves upcoming for Terry Fontenot in my opinion, with this Atlanta Falcons uh, franchise. That could shape how you kind of view Terry Fontenot and the job he's done if he if he doesn't hit on one of those or both of those. Everybody's under pressure, and that's what you want. Arthur Smith is under pressure. Arthur Blank is under pressure. Uh, you know, Terry Fontenot is under pressure. The offensive defensive coordinator is under pressure. <clears throat> because whoever they bring in has to contribute. And they're learning from a guy that might be the same age as them. It used to be, you know, the guy that's helping you out five, six, seven, sometimes ten years in the league, one year in the league. So I'm still trying to figure out how the game of football is played on this level. I can play, but on this level. Right. So I do think that it's going to be a challenge. And who knows, Kevin? It could be a pleasant surprise. While we are considering, while we know it's a rebuild, doesn't mean Atlanta can't go out there and compete. Because Carolina, I don't know who, who, who going to be their quarterback. I mean, I mean, Jameis Winston is fighting for his NFL life over there in New Orleans, and obviously you got the GOAT down there in Tampa. So it's going to be it's going to be a crazy year. But I think, unfortunately for these guys, they're going to have to grow up, and they're going to have to grow up in a hurry. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. we got more to come. Rich Stiles will join us coming up a little bit later this hour. We're talking Jordan Spieth after he gets a big win there at uh, at Harbortown. When we come back, Hawks in Miami tonight. Can the Hawks make it interesting? Can they win a game there against Miami and get back in this series? It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday afternoon, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making this a part of your day. We'll hear from Rich Stiles coming up in just a little bit. 
Talking some golf with him. But game two tonight, Hawks in Miami. Obviously, Trey Young did not have a great uh, great game one, Ben. They're looking to deny Trey uh, for what he can do. If that's the game plan again, who's got to step up there for, for the Hawks? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, for me, I mean, it's going to be Herder. It's going to be DeAndre Hunter. It's going to be Clint Capella. It's going to be Bogdanovich. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be his cast. It's got to be Collins. It's got to be everybody not named Trey Young because I think what happens in the playoffs, Kevin, you, the Miami Heat are doing what you're supposed to do. Okay, we know what got you here. We're gonna see. We're we gonna see if you guys got staying power. I, I know that Herder when he's on, he's on. I know that DeAndre Hunter. I mean, he's a guy that does it on both ends of the floor. I mean, you can't talk about the contributions of a guy like Clint Capella. What he's meant. I mean, you know, uh, you know, rebound as far as scoring the ball, Bogdanovich, and what he brings to the table. But they got to be consistent. Miami knows how dangerous Trey is. You got to prove your worth tonight. This is the playoffs. I mean, Nate McMillan understands that. Look, you guys did what you need to do to, uh, to play your best basketball down the stretch to do to win the two playing games against the Hornets and the Cavs to get you at this point. Now Miami has shown you this is going to be our game plan until you until you force us to adjust. We are going to double and triple Trey Young. We are going to force. It's one thing to make a shot. It's another thing to hit a shot in crunch time. Herder, listen. You know, Red Velvet, I, I got all the faith in the world. Go shoot a shoot. DeAndre Hunter, do this do what you do. Play on both ends of the floor. But I think they got I, I think they got to play as a unit, even though Trey Young is probably gonna be taken out of the offense. Guy like Collins definitely utilizes uh Trey Young's ability to distribute the basketball to him. Trey, what he what he and Trey gonna have to find a way to impact the game without scoring. So I do think, Kevin, it's gonna be it's gonna be the cast of characters around them. They are still a very, very young team. They're still a very, very experienced team. This is a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I know a difference what a difference a year makes, but real good teams understand that if you take away our best player, how are we gonna pick him up? And by those guys hitting shots, getting rebounds, doing the little things, getting going at the balls, being on being scrapping on the defensive end, they got a shot. But I'm not gonna put it on one guy. Herder, Hunter, Bogdanovich, Capella. Collins, you guys got to go out there and help out you. Because if they can find a way to get buckets, that's going to force, obviously, Spolster and company to kind of switch up what they're doing yeah, with Trey. So much runs off of Trey, though. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, one of what was it, one of 12, uh, that's tough. He was obviously getting bothered. And, and again, I think he's got to get off to a hot start tonight. And I think some of the other guys feed off of him, uh, where if he's going well, that creates opportunities for them. And I, I think that's where, who did we have one? Was it, was it Scoopy, uh, Ben, last week yeah. that said, look, the Hawks need that number two, that number two that can take charge if Trey Young has an off night or Trey Young gets shut down. Who is that guy? That's why I was at. You know, who is that guy? Is Kevin Herter really a number two, or is he a guy that hey, if you can get me an open shot, I can knock it down and score points for it? I mean, I think some people would like to have John Collins be that guy and say, listen, you could be that big man who could play a complementary role to to Trey Young, and if he gets shut down, you need to take over a game. But that hasn't been him. He's been yeah. more of hey. I'll get mine. I'll figure out. I can clean up the junk. I can clean up the mess. I can, I can kind of get my points uh, that way. So I understand what people are saying about the Hawks. Like if Trey Young has a bad night, who's the guy that kind of has the put it on me? Put put it on me, and I'll, I'll get us there uh, until they get off of him. You know, and I I think you're probably still trying to find. Probably a reason the Hawks had a little bit of a, a setback here in year number two under Nate McMillan is that on the nights when teams were able to deny Trey Young, who, who's that guy that's going to say put it on me? Put it on me tonight, and I got it. Hopefully, hopefully it's John Collins. I mean, because uh, because Kevin, I mean, he was that foundational piece before they went out there and got a Trey Young, and I get it. I mean, he's a you know he's a big man that definitely tries to you know uh, get his you know get get his points uh, you know make his presence felt down in the paint. But uh, Collins is a guy that you could definitely feed the rock through. Clint Capella is a guy that could definitely get it on both ends of the court. 
hurt it. They're gonna have to play more of an in and out game. So I, the in and out game of you know Clint Capella and Collins, or uh, I mean Clint Capella, I'm sorry, and Herder, or DeAndre Hunter and Collins. These guys, look, you know how to play basketball. You you understand. Look, I, I like how when we were talking about the NBA, is that we isn't that how it is that we had to wreck? If 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 team if team player X is the best player and this team gonna do that's their best player, let's shut him down. Well, that means. Hey man, it's not that I'm a better player. I had more open. I had more open looks, so I'm gonna take more shots. Shoot the freaking shoot it and see <laughs> and see and see what happens. But this Hawks teams, man, I think they've been through it all. They, I mean, they play better when they play teams like the like like the Heat, like Milwaukee, and give the Hawks. I mean, give the Heat a lot of credit. How much respect they showing for Trey, dude? This dude can kill us if we let him get going. Not only can he shoot us out the gym, not only can he's he's automatic at the free throw line, he gets everybody around him involved. Let's discourage him to get him off his game, not just offensively and scoring the basketball, but distributing the basketball. So I think they're going to have to find a way to pick him up because Trey, unfortunately for him, man, he's not a big guy. So they're going to bang him around. get him for, I mean, they already had to separate him and Jimmy Butler the early parts of the game. That's all mind games. I mean, who really think Trey finna whoop Jimmy? Come on, man. Like, let's – But so I think that Kevin now – Pick your brother up while he's trying to figure out himself. And I think a guy like Trey, I don't see him having another one for 12. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I, again, if that happens, it's 0-2. And, <laughs> yeah. well, you're now really behind uh, behind the eight ball at the end of the day. we got so much more to get to here on the show. We'll chat with Rich Stiles, uh, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Jordan Spieth wins there on Hilton Head, and he'll join us when we come back. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. On this Tuesday, Kevin and Ben have BJ back with us uh, soon. But uh, joining us here as he does each and every uh, Tuesday on the show, he is the host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Stiles, joins us here on 3 and Out. Rich, welcome. How are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Doing, I appreciate you coming on. Jordan Spieth wins the RBC Heritage in a playoff. You said that was, you told me before we came on, it was the most watched RBC Heritage ever. Yep, it was uh, over five million as far as viewership. So Tiger isn't the only one that can get the TV ratings up. I thought it was a great tournament. Uh, Jordan Spieth to come back and win. He's been uh, doing better lately as far as placing in tournaments, working on a few things, and uh, obviously they worked out at RBC Heritage uh, last weekend. I mean, Rich, you talk about you talk about a guy like I mean a guy like Jordan Spieth, for which I know we always talking about it's the ever evolving door of. Who's going to be the next face, you know, of golf? At one point, Jordan Spieth was that guy. Just talk about his resurgence. I mean, we hopefully this will, you know, uh, be a steamroll for him. But talk about him being a guy that's saying, look, I know that, you know, my game is always top-notch. Haven't won as many majors as I would like, but I'm still out here, and I'm still obviously finding a way to get, get some big wins. Well, you know, the thing about playing, Ben, and you know this from playing pro football, it's confidence. And if you have confidence in what you're doing in your swing and your mechanics, and your thought patterns, and your putting, and your chipping, and your entire game, uh, you can do wonderful things. And I think Jordan Spieth has been working towards that, uh, not so working as much on trying to change his swing, hit the ball farther like some of the other younger guys are doing. But I think Jordan Spieth has been working on his concentration, how to keep his game within his control, how to play within his own game. And uh, when you do those kind of things, and you have the confidence that no, you can do them. His chipping was incredible. His putting was kind of back to normal of what he used to do. And when you have that confidence, knowing you can do those things, 
that's what happens. You win a PGA Tour event. And, and Rich, how do you think guys handle the the expectations of early success on the PGA Tour? Because we do it in every sport, but certainly in golf, uh, we we've had over the last you know five to six years the rush to say anybody that wins two in a relatively short amount of time is he the next Tiger? Is he the next Tiger Woods? Is Tiger Woods now Jordan Spieth? How much do you think guys? play into that when they have early success that people start saying, man, we haven't seen a guy do this since Tiger Woods did it. it is, I mean, obviously that is so unfair, but uh, how much do you think uh, maybe a guy like Jordan Spieth bought into some of that where it was so much success early, winning majors, winning big tournaments, uh, that people were trying to, to say, oh, this is the, the, the new face of golf? Well, I think it puts a lot of pressure on yourself, and that usually comes from inside yourself. Uh, plus it comes from the media and other folks around you where you've had some early success. You win a major. You, you almost win two masters in a row. You go through these situations. You're on the driving range. You're practicing, and you have guys and other coaches who coach other players say, hey, have you tried this? Hey, I noticed you had trouble doing this before. So it's a lot of keeping those voices out of your system, so to speak, or out of your camp. Um, and the pressure comes from winning, uh, and then the second win, and then the third win, and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. So I think some of the pressure from Jordan Spieth, for example, was self-inflicted, and I think he kind of went into it saying, you know, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good chipper, and then you start changing a couple things, like your chipping or your swing, and you try and get more out of it where – you really don't need to get more out of it, but you think you do. So I just think that, you know, sometimes the media overblows things. Uh, there isn't going to be another Tiger. There's only one Tiger. There's only one MJ. Uh, there was only one Babe Ruth. I mean, you could go on and on like that. But the point of the matter is some of those confidence things and some of those pressures are self-inflicted where you're not driving the ball as well so you end up putting more pressure on your iron game or your chipping game or your putting game. So all those things have to click in order to win a PGA Tour event. And what and what does it say about a guy like Jordan who, who didn't particularly put you know put well in RBC? Obviously, uh, he was already uh, he was already done and then realized that he was in the playoff and and then and does it and does it come down to what you said, Rich? Is trusting yourself? Yes, you got your candy. Yes, you got your swing coach. Yes, I could adjust things, but. Me trusting me is what got me to this point. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, all these people can tell you you're doing great on this. You need to fix this. You need to do that. Your putting stroke is good. You're coming through the ball the way you should. But the bottom line, after all that input from all these executives and these professionals and your team, doesn't matter. If when you step out on the golf course, you don't have that confidence that you can do all those things without all that input and that that stops there and you and your caddy, it's you and him and bottom line, no matter what the caddy says, it's what you're going to do when you're standing over that ball for those few seconds, what is going to happen with your swing, with your impact and is the ball going to go where you want it to go? So his confidence is back and this win is going to help him. I think see some more wins in the near future. Rich, kind of a, a novelty there on the, uh, the the PGA Tour at the RBC in that Jordan Spieth was was in kind of early. Uh, and so normally guys that finish early, uh, you're not around to, to, to play in a playoff or win the thing. It's kind of everybody else 
uh, fell in line and came back to him. How strange is that on the PGA Tour to see a guy that not maybe is a hole or two ahead of the final group, but a guy that's been there waiting a hot minute to uh, find himself in a playoff? Well, I kind of expected uh, uh, more people to be at that 13-under that he got into. Cantley was the only one to get there. Lowry missed a couple of putts, a couple that I think he probably should have made and might have made. But, you know, the wind was blowing a lot stronger towards the end of the day. And sometimes when you have to finish early, uh, then it becomes even more pressure. And if the wind picks up during a tournament, it can affect your, your ball, your position. It can affect, you know, how you're going to hit the ball. And it definitely is going to affect your chips and your putts more than a lot of people realize. But I honestly thought there'd be more people in the playoff, but it ended up being Spieth and Cantley. And I think Spieth's sand shot out was just fantastic, and Cantley's wasn't. And so, therefore, he won. But he did finish early, but the conditions were not exactly the same as when the other guys had finished. And, Rich, I know you mentioned, I mean, there is only, there is only one Tiger, right? There is only one Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan, you know, uh, Gretzky, and the list goes on and on. But – it's something to say about staying power. What I what I can appreciate about a Jordan Smith is, yeah, man. At one point, I was the next face. I kind of I kind of fizzled out a little bit, but you know, as far as like winning majors, winning tournaments, here I am showing what I can do if I put everything to the side. How hard is it when you talk about staying power with a golfer that makes it a little different? Because that's a different kind of individual sport. You got it. I mean, uh, it is definitely an individual sport. It's one of those where. Uh, the ball does not know how old you are, does not know who you are, and does not know your swing speed. So this is a very difficult sport. I think it's one of the hardest sports I've ever played because the ball doesn't move unless you move it. And I just think that there are, are other sports where, you know, the ball comes in at 90 miles an hour. It's thrown by a quarterback. It's, you know, all these other things. And you know, the bottom line is, he's going to win more tournaments. And I think these young guys that were coming out of college and winning early, uh, I think it's going to help them. But again, then they're going to expect the success and you can't play golf with expectations that sometimes can't be met. That's the worst thing you can do. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Joining us, Rich, finally, uh, obviously, Hilton Head, RBC Heritage, a, a great spot uh, for a tournament, and it seems like quietly one of the, uh, the the better courses, one of the favorites of the guys out on tour to play each and every year. I know people talk about, you know, the TPC uh, Sawgrass down the, the road in, in, in Ponte Vedra, but it seems like right there, Hilton Head, quietly one of the favorite courses on the, uh, the PGA Tour stop. It is. I mean, it's one of those courses, it's tight. I mean, it's tree-lined. Uh, you've got to be you know, strong off the tee. You've got to have your wedges in order to get in close. It's got some, you know, some tight spots, and you have to be either right or left, depending upon where the green and the pins are. And, uh, you know, it's a very strategic, target-oriented golf course that obviously it's not one of the longest, but it is more targeted than most other golf courses are. There's not a lot of opportunity if you're not in the right place. And I think that's one of the reasons they like Hilton Head is because it's a little bit different, maybe a little shorter than some of the other courses that they have. But if you can hit your targets, it's a great golf course, and you can get a win on the PGA Tour. The scenery's not bad either, Rich. No, it's not too bad at all. <laughs> Thanks, Rich. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. You can catch him Saturday and Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. Rich, we'll talk again next week. Thanks much.
All right, guys. Thank you. Rich Stiles joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. As again, Jordan Spieth wins there at the RBC Heritage. Gets that plaid jacket, which, again, I, I don't know who. Does anybody, I know they love the plaid there, but it's like, does anybody really rock plaid? John sometimes maybe. He well, rocks everything. I, I, that's true. Wait, 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 to him, plaid ain't loud enough. He wanted something. That's no, true. I mean, but, you saw but, his son got but, an but, NIL. I, did you see that? I, I John Daisy got, got I, a deal I with Hooters. I, but I, hold on. But I, I oh. Well, I mean, we might have to <laughs> get him on the show. You know, get some, <laughs> you know but I, I, will, I will say, if you got a plaid jacket and it was is because you won a tournament, that makes yeah. it a little bit different. I don't I don't see too many people going in and telling the seamstress, man, what do you want, man? I got to go to this event. Where are you going? I need some plaid. I just need plaid. I, head to toe plaid. Head to toe plaid, you know, I mean, suspenders, socks, <laughs> whatever you got. No, I, I will say, look, plaid, plaid Kevin, is not something – you're going to hear a lot corduroy or whatever. Yeah. You're not going to hear that a lot. But to those people that do love those, I'm pretty sure you got plenty, plenty, you know, uh, of material out there. Yeah, just don't ask me. I'm not a fashionista. I'm not, you know, give me a T-shirt and jeans. I'm good. That doesn't that doesn't cut it for all the uh, the dress-up occasions. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, you yeah know, Kevin said, like, listen, Kevin said, listen, I'm not, I'm not becoming a golfer because, I mean, what, I don't want to do that. Kevin, what are you wearing today? I'm wearing clothes. I'm yeah, going I don't, to swing the yeah. club and I'm going home. I'm going to wear a green shirt. <laughs> With orange pants or purple pants, it don't matter. Just give me something; it's fine. Yeah, I'm a Brooks Koepka that thing. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna yeah. just get in the fight with, uh, you know, I'm gonna get in the fight with peroxide and lose. <laughs> and then that way, you know, <laughs> my whole head, is, my whole head is, uh, you know, oh my goodness. Hey, we got more to come here. It's three and out on the Southern Big Skin Radio Network. Demetrius Harvey coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll talk to him about what the Jags do. Not just at number one, which we've heard a lot about, but what about the rest of the draft? They got a number of draft picks. It's three and out on the Southern Big Skin. Good to have you back here on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll hear from Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, coming up in just a little bit. Ben, as we'll look at what the Jags are going to do there at uh, not just number one, but they obviously have the first pick in the second round, a host of picks to try to improve their team. Doug Peterson, the third coach in three years uh, there in, in Jacksonville. You've got a what they hope is a franchise guy in Trevor Lawrence. Now you got to make sure he can play like one. Jags say they're going defensive end. At least that's what all the draft picks say. But what do you do after that? Deep at receiver? Do you still need receivers? You, yeah. You're deep at running back? Could you get a third or fourth round guy to compliment? I know you just drafted Travis Etienne. He didn't play last year. So I, I would kind of use that as a wash. You don't know what you're going to get if he's still got some lingering effects of the Liz Frank injury. Plenty of places you can go in this draft if you're Jacksonville. Jacksonville, if, uh, for my for my second and third round picks, I'm definitely trying to go receiver. I'm definitely trying to go defensive tackle. I think when you look at the fact that this is a team that's definitely going to probably go defensive end, number one overall, Aiden Hutchinson seems to be the pick. We'll see if if, if that changes between now and next Thursday. But I, I think, Kevin, you, you're always trying to add depth. And right now, I don't know if they have depth at all at the defensive tackle position. If you had a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, number one, he adds to, you know, Josh Allen, you know, Clayvon Chason. But they, I don't know who they have at D-Tackle right now. And the thing, and since Calais Campbell and our company have left, uh, you know, to go to places like the Ravens, I mean, it has been dismal at best when you think about uh, the defensive tackle position for the, for the Ravens. Uh, so I do think, you know, a guy like George Pickens, I can see being a guy they covered it uh, with that second-round pick because, I mean, you can't coach size, you can't coach speed, and he has both. I mean, what do we say, Kevin? You want to build your team? You build your team two ways. You build your team through the ACC and the SEC. That's how you want to. Be, that's, how, that's that's how you want to build. Is that them. the draft strategy I mean, I, officially? Pretty, pretty much. I mean, think about it. Um, 
the SEC broke the record for most draft picks in the first in the first uh, two rounds last year. I think that's going to be shattered this year when you think about the guys like Evan Nils of the world, when you think about the, all the Georgia guys uh, coming out, the Derek Stingley Juniors, you know, of the world. But Jacksonville, you got a young squad, back-to-back number one overall picks. You got a boatload of picks in this year's draft. So I do think second round, think more wide receiver D-tackle. But later on in the draft, you're trying to add, you're trying to add depth. Look, you need, you, you, you're going to need another safety, right? You talk about the Travis Etienne, uh, Kevin. I mean, Travis Etienne, as you mentioned, he hasn't even had a rookie season yet because he, he tore his ACL. So you need at least three guys, three solid guys. I need three solid running backs. Two of them gonna start. One gonna play on special team. That we all three of them can be up. I need I need a receiver, you know, because the thing about Christian Kirk, why he got a boatload of money, he's not six feet tall. I need a guy that's six two, six three, like you know that that a burner on the outside, like a like a George Pickens, because Christian Kirk gonna play in the slot, but they obviously he's gonna obviously have to play on the outside because of that contract. You got a guy like Evan Ingram, uh, Oshag Hennessy. I see O'Shaughnessy. I know he uh he he uh, he signed a one year deal elsewhere. You're gonna have to add depth. At the tight end position, but D tackle, you got rid of a guy like Miles Jack. Gonna even though you bring over, you know, the leading tackle for Atlanta last year. Over, so I think for this team, everything you add in the offseason, everything you added last season, you're gonna you're gonna need to add a complimentary piece if they're not gonna start. You already got your quarterback, add another add another receiver. You already got your offensive line, add another whole lineman. You can never have never have too many O linemen, never have too many D linemen. You can never have too many DBs. Add you a DB. Sorry about that. You know, so I, so I, so I, so I think that uh, for the Jacksonville team, Kevin, different than Atlanta, it's who do you want? Because you know you build it for the future. You know a lot of those draft picks last year. You know, keep, so you add a Travis E to go along with James Robinson. You add a guy like uh, Pickens. You know, you add a D, a D, an interior D lineman. I mean, I know maybe maybe a Zachary Carter from Florida. Who who knows? It depends on what you want to try to get. I think that this uh, Jacksonville team they are in a good position because they're not quote. Look to contend in twenty twenty two, but they could definitely make. You need to take a step forward. Yeah, yeah, they could definitely make. They they cannot be picking the number one overall pick three years in a row. That that cannot happen. But you kept the Colts out of the playoffs. They now have Matty Ice. If you can find a way to beat Houston and find a way to tackle Derrick Henry, who AJ Brown, all reports up there, they saying he's a diva now because he wants his money. We'll see what happens with that. You can find a way to contend as AFC South. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Demetrius Harvey will join us coming up in the draft. I think Ben's most disappointed. He's not going to be able to say O'Shaq Hennessy at tight end. O'Shaq Hennessy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to reach out to O'Shaq Hennessy, man, just see where he is. And look, man, you don't know me. I'm an old, I'm a old vet. I'm an yeah. old head. Hey, man, let me let me, let me get one of them O'Shaq Hennessy uh, jerseys, man. But O'Shaq Hennessy was always a fan favorite to me. They maybe need to find somebody they can draft named <laughs> Jay Quellen. Uh, and <laughs> Quellen? <laughs> But no, I, I, again, I, I'm interested to see what Demetrius has to say. I, I, I'm, I'm still not sold on Aiden Hutchinson as number one. I know everybody keeps saying that, but man, it's to me so tempting to grab Evan Neal and just totally stack uh, your offensive line as best you can. But we'll talk to uh, Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country. What do the Jags do in the rest of the draft to try to get that depth? And what are they trying to accomplish? What are their goals there for the draft? And uh, certainly Doug Peterson in year number one. So much to get to. As we said, we'll talk to uh, Demetrius Harvey. Also, the Braves trying to bounce back uh, tonight against the Dodgers. It was all about Freddie Free last night. And certainly, uh, Ben, you kind of figured what kind of night it was going to be with all the pregame festivities, all the, the handshakes and talking and hugs going around. And then the first at bat, he goes deep. And you're like, and that's how it's going to be here. Uh, for, for for night number one. But the Braves have made some moves. Waskari Noah, Sean Newcomb, both out. Waskari Noah sent down to AAA 
Sean Newcomb outright designated for assignment. So he's free to sign with whomever he wants. So the Braves already making two pretty big moves. They call up uh, Tukey Toussaint, one of the options uh, there at pitcher. And Dylan Lee, a left-hander, to go in that bullpen. We'll talk more about that coming up in the final hour of the program. But love to hear from you here on this Tuesday at Pigskin Radio. Uh, you can tweet at us. Love to get your comments there. Or uh, give us a call, 912-342-7184 to join us on the show. Your thoughts on the Jags and Falcons draft uh, there as well. Or comment on our live stream. You can catch the live stream Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Leave comments there. And, of course, uh, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, at ESPN Coastal, Ben, at ESPN Coastal. Subscribe to it. And as soon as we go live every day on a show, you'll get that notification. Mm-hmm. It's time for three and out. So go ahead and do that. We'd appreciate it. We'll come back. we got more to come. Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, talking Jags football with him next. It's three and out. On the- Good to have you back here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you're making us a part of your day. There's a lot to get to here in the final hour draft coming up in nine days from right now. The Jacksonville Jaguars have the number one overall pick. And joining us here from Big Cat Country, Demetrius Harvey steps in here on three and out. Demetrius, welcome. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Hey, we are doing fantastic. Uh, Jacksonville at number one. I have to ask just because it's what you do. Uh, with the draft, are you still feeling pretty solid? It's Aiden Hutchinson. Any last-minute potential surprise at number one? Well, I mean, there's always going to be the that you know possibility of some surprise happening. I think we we all know the talk right now. You know, Trayvon Walker is slowly creeping up into everybody's mind as if he's going to be the pick or potentially the pick. Um, I think that it's sort of a a weird dynamic right now where this draft is not, you know that. There's not a number one player in this draft, at least not a consensus number one guy. So it's really easy to say, hey, maybe they'll go this direction, maybe they'll go that that direction. But when it all comes down to it, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson has the production, he has the athletic measurements, he has the traits that you look for in a player that you know is a culture setter, and that's one thing that Trent Bulky and, and both you know Doug Peterson have harped on throughout all of free agency and all of this offseason is establishing that culture and I honestly can't think of a, a better player right now for them than Aiden Hutchinson in terms of doing just that and then combine that with his production his athletic testing numbers it just seems like he would be a more um, ready-made player for them now is that what I would necessarily do I'm not sure I think I would probably lean towards the guy who has um, incredible gifts in terms of athleticism and, and, and Tra- Trayvon Walker where you can use him all over the field, and he might, you know, become a better player years down the road. But I think that the Jaguars right now, they just need a guy who can come in and be good right now, and uh, that would probably be Hutchinson. When you when you look at what's going, you talk about a guy like Javon Walker. I mean, obviously he's going to creep up as number one when you look at what his upside could be, and him being able to be a, a guy that you can move up and down the defensive line. Aiden Hutchinson has been uh, the clear cut number one. Evan Neal has seemingly fallen out of grace as far as like you know, but when they when they want to franchise Cam Robinson, when it's all said and done, who would you eventually go with? Even would you take would you take the clear cut number one, a guy that's fell, you know, because he because of the position, or a guy that has a ceiling about as high as you can getting a guy like Javon Walker. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, if, if I were the Jaguars, I probably wouldn't have franchise tag Cam Robinson. I mean, obviously, you can't just go back and, and, and redo that. But just in terms of what they had as a possibility to at the top of this draft, I think that they could have drafted a better player 
to play left tackle for them. I think that they could have figured out guard down the road. Um, but since they have tagged him and, 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 you know, this is the direction that they went, like I said before, I, I think that Trayvon Walker, although, you know, his numbers aren't, you know, great or anything, and he definitely needs work on his pass rush moves. He's going to take maybe a year to even get really going in terms of that department. But this guy is, is someone you can play inside, out. You can, you know, stand him up. He can drop in coverage. I mean, and this is all at around, I think, 270 pounds. He, He's a freak athlete. You don't really necessarily see many of those go very far. I don't expect him to fall out of the top ten at all. Um, he might even still go top five. And so he's a guy that if, if you really, really you know, are confident in your coaching and you're confident in the direction that he is headed in terms of being a sound football player and, and a great football player down the road, then I think that you would you know, take the risk. I just simply don't think that the Jaguars have that luxury right now of taking a risk when they can just get a guy who they know is going to be good or, or at least solid, and and they can just go from there. I think that they need somebody who's going to just you know quiet everything down and, and instead of making it up, oh, you know, here's another question mark pick that the Jaguars took. Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, joining us here on Three Now. So Demetrius, obviously the Jags have a lot of picks, including number one, obviously in the second round. What are they looking to do there? Let's start the second round. What are Jacksonville doing at? After they make that first pick, are they trying to move up to get better players with, with some of those picks, or are they trying to, to, to take every last one of those to, uh, to get as much competition on that roster as possible? Well, it'll depend on who falls. So um, I think that everybody in, in Jacksonville, at least, I know would expect them to want to take a wide receiver, or they think that they need a wide receiver, and so that's the direction that, that they would go. But um, from everything I've heard, you know, and, and honestly, like if you look at what they did this offseason, you know, signing Christian Kirk to that contract, signing Zay Jones, um, signing Evan Ingram, you know, they have some pass catchers that they feel strongly in, and, and they still have guys like Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chanel on the roster. So I don't think that they necessarily are as um, needy at that position as other people feel. Um, I think that they need it, but, you know, they, they might go a, a different direction. And I think that one of the glaring holes for them might not even be on the offensive side, but on the defensive side at linebacker next to um, Al Oaken, or I, I'm butchering his his name for some reason, but but next to their other linebackers that they signed in free agency, and, and they might want to go with a guy like Quay Walker out of Georgia, and I know that he put up impressive numbers. He's a 15-game a, a starter last year. Um, he would fit right in where they need a guy that can fill that that void that's left by Miles Jack being released and Damian Wilson not being brought back. I think that if they had to decide, they would go somewhere around the linebacker range or maybe if um, Tyler Linderbaum is still there at center, they might go in that direction as well. Demetrius, when you look at a team like Jacksonville, uh, you know, drafting uh, number one overall and back-to-back drafts, and you look at this division as a whole. We understand what's going on, uh, you know, up there in Nashville, dealing with a guy like, you know, Derrick Henry. I mean, you was able to get – you 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 the Jags are a big reason why, you know, Carson Wentz is in Washington right now. And if you can find a way to uh, compete with Houston, this is a very, very young roster. They get the right draft to go along with the 2021 draft, a healthy Travis Etienne, an upright um, – uh, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence, how good can this team uh, be in 2022 to get, maybe not win the division but contend for it? I think it could be a pretty good team. I, I think that right now, in my opinion, they have the right coach. I, I was, you know, somebody who was a proponent of 
of Doug Peterson coming in. I thought that either him or Byron Leftwich would make the most sense. They went with Peterson. Um, I think that him being a Super Bowl winning head coach in the past and a, a team builder, a culture setter, um, I think that we've heard nothing but good things so far. And if you look at the team, you know, they, they, they have some pieces. They have, you know, a couple of offensive linemen that they feel strongly in. Obviously, they brought in Brandon Sheriff, and then now they can go out and get another offensive lineman to kind of fill that void at left guard. And then defensively, if you look at it, you know, they, they need a guy next to Josh Allen or across from Josh Allen, however you want to say it. And if they go out and get an Aiden Hutchinson, there you go. And, and, and they have some other pieces on defense that can, you know, really do some, some, some good for them. And I think that that's going to be the key to this season, especially going up against guys like Derrick Henry and, um, you know, the, the Colts running back. And, and, and just being able to, um, I think, stay steady is, is what's mostly important. And, and, and I think you're right. I don't think that this division is necessarily – strong outside of you know Tennessee and, and Indy perhaps if Matt Ryan can you know stabilize that franchise again but um, I think that right now it, it, it's not necessarily a, a team that can compete for a division title this year but I definitely think they're not going to be you know pushovers you know they they beat the Colts already before and, and I think that they will beat the Texans this year you know they'll they'll have that ammo to do so and then the Titans will be their next foe to kind of have to go up against but yeah, I, I think that this team has, you know, what it takes to be competitive. I don't think that they're going to be the worst team in the league again this year. And um, I think I, I just see what it's taken, and, and I think they're doing a good job. Yeah, that's obviously goal number one. Don't pick number one in the draft yet again. Uh, can they? How much do you think they can improve on their win total from a year ago? Obviously, that's another place, yeah. you know, where it starts. Are you talking about a team that obviously I don't think anybody's picking them to make the playoffs? Could they at least in you know week? 13-14 be in a playoff discussion at that latest stage in the season? I'm not sure about playoff discussion. I mean, it's going to be tough. It's a 17-game season, week 13 and 14. You have to be around maybe five, six wins by that point in order to be in, in that discussion. I think that um, growing on that win total, I, I still believe that they're not going to be you know overly impressive this year. I still can see – being in that six to seven win range, which which would be fantastic. I mean, they just won three games last year with perhaps the worst head coach in the NFL or in NFL history, absolutely <laughs> NFL. But um, so if, if if you look at that and you see the Doug Peterson coming in and you see the the improvements that they that they've made, and as long as they keep going and, and staying healthy, I think that they do have an opportunity to at least double that win total to be around six or seven wins. Um, and I think that that would be a great accomplishment. I don't think that it, there would be anything to scoff at. I think that six or seven wins would be perfectly fine. And if they're not competing for the division title or a playoff spot by week 12 or 13, still it, it would be a disappointment to them. But, you know, if you're looking from an outsider's perspective, I think it would still be okay. And to me, you keep on mentioning a guy like Doug Peterson. I mean, not too many guys in the National Football League can say they are defending uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Super Bowl champ. How how stabilizing is he as a coach being able to come in and say, look, I know how to win in the franchise. I did it over there with, uh, you know, uh, Philly. Obviously, I'm doing it with a very, very uh, second-year quarterback and a guy like Trevor Lawrence. But just to have just a, a regular locker room, a regular working environment, I don't have to deal with, you know, the Trent Baalke. I don't – I mean, I'm sorry, Trent Baalke. I don't have to deal with uh, Urban Meyer. I don't have to deal with Chris Doyle. I don't have to deal with Tim Tebow, right, wrong, and different. Just to have normalcy in Jacksonville – how stabilized is a guy like Doug Peterson? 
Right. No, no, you, you hit it on the head because if you go back and look at what Urban Meyer did last year, it was it was almost as if, you know, you, you, you wake up for work and you're just dreading it every single day. And now imagine that as a football player, um, you know, I, I'm sure you've dreaded days going, you know, to practice or something, but to dread even going in at all. Um, that that has a mental toll on you. You know, you don't want to be there. You're dealing with, you know, last year even still with COVID and just other outside factors, and now you have to go to work where you just absolutely would rather stay home. And, and it's just not a good environment, a toxic work environment. I think that that had a very big impact on players. You know, DJ Chart came out and, and, and said so. So, you know, bringing in a guy like Doug Peterson, it does bring a lot of stability. You've already seen it. He, he sort of turned around. Um, and, it, and it feels normal. Like going into press conferences feels way more normal. Going in and talking to you know even members of the PR, just like little things like that, you can tell that there's a normalcy now in Jacksonville. And I think that that's what's you know key with this season. I think that they just need a normal year. They need a normal head coach. I think they got it. Demetrius Harvey joining us here, Big Cat Country. Look at Trevor Lawrence. Uh, how much improvement do you see out of him? Because of all that that you just said, uh, not that necessarily Urban Meyer was there, you know, grooming the quarterback, but I mean, how much improvement do you see from him? And uh, given what happened last year, is there still belief that obviously he can be one of the top QBs in the league by the time it's all said and done? Well, there's a few reasons to believe that Trevor Lawrence has what it takes. I mean, not only just because of what he showed last year, if you actually look at all of his games, all of his snaps, all of his throws, you'll see that, you know, this is a guy that has, you know, special traits. And I think that everybody knows that who's actually watched him. And moving forward now, you got Doug Peterson, former uh, quarterback. You have Press Taylor, who, who's worked heavily with the quarterback position as well. You have Jim Bakuter, the same thing. And then you have another quarterback coach who used to play quarterback in Mike McCoy, and he was a veteran uh, coach in the NFL before too. So you have what it takes in terms of surrounding him with the right coaches in order to make him a better player, and that's only going to make him progress even further. Then you take a look at what they actually added, and, and I know that everybody you know, kind of poo-poos the Christian Kirk signing, which I, I get, but if you actually look at it, you get a player who is you know good at what he does. He excels out of the slot. He needs a reliable receiver. I think that Christian Kirk could at least bring something like that. And then you have Evan Ingram and you have other weapons that I think that they're going to be able to unlock. And then obviously the new offense that he's going to be putting in. And just generally a year-two jump, we've seen it. Um, quarterbacks make that jump from year one to year two, and, and, and it always happens seemingly with these top-tier guys, even if they're maybe not as good as, as you would expect. I mean, we saw that with even a, a Carson Wentz years ago. So I think that he can make a considerable jump, and I don't know if he'll necessarily be one of the, the best quarterbacks in the league next year, but he'll definitely be in the, in the discussion for one of the best young quarterbacks in the league next year. And Demetrius, finally, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, you talk about a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who's definitely one of the most exciting prospects I've seen come out since maybe like a John Elway or, you know, uh, you know, maybe like, a, you know, a guy like uh, Peyton Manning. You look at what he brings to the table. You talk about, you know, uh, having a guy that you can build around, hopefully, in the Aiden Hutchinson on a very, very young defense in the division that's very, very winnable in the AFC South. How, how, how excited is Jacksonville just to be able to say, look, we're trying to get back to the days of obviously I had to play during the days of the Mike Petersons and the Fred Taylors and the Maurice Jones Drews. How, how, how far away are they to getting back to not just competing in the National Football League but being nationally relevant in the National Football League? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, they were a few years removed now. I mean, I know it's several years now from being in the AFC Championship camp. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be there, but the excitement level, it's kind of 50-50 because it depends on how you look at the team. I think people are kind of, like, tired of hearing about how they're going to be so much better this year because it just hasn't happened. But if you look at it from just, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Doug Peterson, you know, they're they're signing, you know, all of the free agents, they're spending all this money, they have the number one pick. So from that perspective, it is exciting. It is something to look forward to now because you're going you're going into now year um two under Trevor Lawrence and now, you know, year three sort of of this rebuild that you want to see growth in this team. And I think that they've, you know, done the right moves. Um before all of the you know free agency and everything, I understand that there was so much you know, vitriol towards um, Trent Balky and vitriol towards Shad Khan, the owner, and, and just things like that. But now you're sort of seeing it, you know, all come together. If it, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least, you know, you can actually see that they're trying. It's tangible. And I think that that's what's most exciting. I think the Jacksonville and Jaguar fans are very excited about that. Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, our guest here on 3 Now. Demetrius, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. Demetrius Harvey joining us here, and again, a more functional Jacksonville Jaguars coming up here in uh, in 2022, and uh, the Jags sitting there with the number one overall pick, and they will be on the clock a week from Thursday night. Ben and I will react to that when we return. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Again, good to have Demetrius Harvey, Big Cat Country, joining us. Jags on the clock in nine days. For pick number one in the NFL draft to Ben, he said, look, it's Aiden Hutchinson. After that, they've got to find guys that can come in and, and compete to uh, to win. And there's options out there. The, the the depth of this draft is going to be apparent. He said, I, I, I he did kind of couch a little bit on number one. He said, look, Aiden Hutchinson's the guy, but you can never say never. There's always a chance that they do something off radar. Uh, and, and, and could it be a Trayvon Walker? Could it be? A tackle, uh, one of the top uh, couple of tackles in the draft. We'll have to wait and see, but everybody who's doing a mock draft is out here saying it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, and after that, you have a host of picks to go out and try to make yourself better. Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson seems to be the pick, but, uh, you know, Kevin, I mean, the thing about a guy like Javon Walker, I mean, you talk about the upside, a guy that can play up and down, uh, the defensive line can play, can play in the 3-4, can play in the 4-3, can play on the outside, can play on the inside, can drop in coverage, can cover, can cover uh, you know, uh running backs out the backfield, a guy that can a guy that can just be a disruptor in the middle. Aiden Hutchinson has that ideal size. When you talk about 6'5, 6'6, 265, can really, really turn the corner. A guy that has a really, really quick first step. When you have the number one pick, Kevin, it's like this. It's like you wake up in the morning and every eligible draft pick is looking at you. And you go, I put no, no, not him. No. So I think that the thing about Jacksonville is whoever they draft is contributing this year. Yes, you're gonna have to have a you know you're gonna have to be able to learn on the on the on the fly. It's gonna be an on the job training type thing. It's gonna be a lot being thrown at you. But the average the average uh, the average age on this team is 23, 24. So it's gonna be very very young. I mean Trevor Lawrence already a seasoned vet in year two. One because of the position he's playing. Two because there ain't a lot of guys around him. Got a lot of new faces when you talk about bringing different guys over from you no know, Christian Kirk. Get to see what it feels like to be a freaking headliner. <laughs> big, big contract too. I mean, I'm happy for him when it comes to that. Evan Ingram, a, re, a, a guy that was a first round pick four years ago or well, five years ago out of uh, Ole Miss, didn't really pan out what they, they wanted to over there with the Giants. So I think that when you blend in a mix of a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, Trevon Walker, who knows, 
with a with a young. It's good to come in on a team with guys they they just as young as you are. It's easy to listen to them because, hey, man, y'all into the same things. It's a whirlwind like a lot of you guys. I mean, now, I know people talking about Trevor Lawrence had to deal with, quote, the South, which he's from freaking Georgia, went to school in Clemson. No, Aiden Hutchinson going to have to get adjusted to it. Michigan is a long ways away from Jacksonville, right? So I, I think that it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson. Kevin, I think that you let all the – Aiden Hutchinson's already been down there on a the visit. I saw that when he got there. But I think that he's built for the moment. And obviously, if you if, if anybody can live up being the number one – Overall pick. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning gave you two Super Bowls and one he would spend 14 years, uh, you know, with the coach. So I don't think I don't think you don't have to worry too much about trying to live up to the building. It's gonna be can you be impactful? Because Trevon Walker, while he got the upside, I think a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, he's got the pedigree. We'll see what happens, Kevin, but I don't think you can go wrong with either one. Yeah, so the Jags gonna be on the clock. Falcons gonna be sitting back there at number eight. We talked about them earlier uh in the show. Uh, you know, obviously, what do you do? Do you trade back? I think that's a, a a good idea if you have a good trade partner. But you get volunteer uh, voluntary workouts today. Marcus Mariota there. Grady Jarrett was not uh, business. I know people was like it's voluntary. You don't have to show up. But when you stink, is it a little less voluntary? Does it matter who's there or not really? I mean, even if you uh, yeah, yes and no. I, I, now this right here is a good question because it depends on the team. When I was with the Titans. I mean, they didn't. They wanted you to be there, but they ain't tripping. They they expected you to come in in good shape. When I was with the Bucks, they 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 more or less wanted you to be there. They they was a team that really really wanted a lot of guys around the facility because they want to be able to see you. They want to be able to talk to you. They want to be able to interact with you. They want to be able to see are you really working? And if you are, a lot of times the guys that don't show up, Kevin, is one day at a contract dispute or two. They're just a classy veteran that they 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 a Pro Bowl All Pro type player that has their own regiment that they do, but they always come in ready to go. But hey, it's it's an unsung rule. It's 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 voluntary involuntary is, is is the best way I would like to call it because I think that the more that you're not around the facility, they hope that you're doing the right things. If you're there, they know you're in the city, they know you're accessible, and they know you're doing what it takes to be a professional in the National Football League. I mean, like I said, I wasn't there in Oakland. Then the then Oakland Raiders for the offseason. Only God knows uh, what they was doing out there at the time. But camaraderie is a thing that has to be built over time. Camaraderie is a thing that happens, you know, when you don't have to be there. And camaraderie is one of those things that separate the good from the great. If the Jacksonville Jaguars expect to be contending, if the Falcons expect to be contending, I expect them to have a pretty good uh, nucleus of guys in the building because a coach said said something one thing. What else are you doing? Like, I get, you know, you guys, you know, entering to, you know, fatherhood and, uh, you know, being husbands and families. I get it. This is your job. What else are you doing? You ain't been around in a minute. So we want to see what in the world you're doing and – like I said, when it comes, quote, contract time, if you don't think every little thing they will use against you, oh, those things pay huge dividends. And, again, Falcons in their draft going to be at number eight. Ben, we talked about this back in, in hour one. I'm coming around to the idea of if there's not a guy you can't live without, Yep, I'm trying to move back. Let it, why, let it go. And, 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 and do that because people say, why why you do that? You need players. Exactly. You need good players. But you also need players in terms of volume yes. uh, as well. And if I can move back and pick up somebody's number one next year, i.e. have two number ones, um, you could either have two number one picks or if you don't believe Marcus Mariota is the long-term answer, hint, hint, nobody does, you can package those two to potentially move up and draft a quarterback. Unless, of course, this upcoming season, Ben, is a total disaster and you're drafting in the top two or something. Uh, you know, you could package those and potentially move up and get a guy uh, that you want to play quarterback. So 
I think that just gives you more options. I don't know. I mean, again, you can't go out and just add guys, uh, right? Even post-draft, even post-training camp, you're going to get guys. You're going to be bargain shopping. Hey, what, what player has a little extra tag, you know, next to his name? Hey, discount prices. That's what, that's what you're doing. I think Terry Fontenot even said that. So, hey, we're discount shopping out here, trying to put together our roster. So, to me, get as many picks as you can. If that means you can turn your picks now into a couple more this year and a couple more next year, you do it. Uh, and, again, I know, Ben, you said there's three guys, Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Kyle, Hamilton. Think, and Kyle Hamilton, that you would say, if he's there, feel like you got to take. Like, like you would, anybody else... And I don't even know if I'm that sold on all that. Because I know people say, well, you need a DN. I mean, if you get Kayvon Thibodeau, how much better is your defense? Maybe a little bit. Um, I could see taking him. Uh, let him get a year of development. And you have maybe a more proven player in year two. But I think really, Ben, you just need to ensure that whatever hap- you think is going to happen this year. And I, you have to imagine the behind-the-scenes talks are, Arthur Blank, my guy, we are not going to be good. Uh, we don't have the money freed up to go out and get players. The players we have, we've had to let go of some pretty iconic players. Our best wide receiver is suspended. Don't even know if he's coming back in two years. They can extend that very well. Uh, we're not going to be good. I feel like, you know, Brad Pitt in a thing. We're not going to be better next year. Oh, like, yeah, it's like, all, all, so it's all, like, all, yeah, 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 you're going to find a play. Okay, well, we can find the players, develop players. That takes time. Um, so you're not going to be better uh, next year. I, I, I'm not sinking everything in. To what you get at number one, I'm I'm maybe hedging my bet that I can really get who I want next year in a draft and move up if I need to. But yeah, I mean, if Evan Neal's there, one of those guys that you just in your gut feel like this is a decade player, yeah. If not, if you feel you can get a similar player in your second round pick, I look to do that. And again, it takes somebody to trade back with Ben. I know people will say, just trade back. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like. Man, we need to get us a Nick Saban Come type. Well, I mean, Nick Saban Jr. I mean, if it was I mean, every year, if it was that easy, we'd just go <laughs> do it. But I mean, everybody says, "Well, just trade back." Yeah. And I'm interested to see how how easy that is because in this draft, people said, "Look, two or three guys at the top are very, very good." Outside of that, there's a lot of guys who are about the same. You could get a top ten talent at 26. So why am I moving up? You know, unless there's a player you can lower over somebody's head that they really covet. Who's going to trade up with you? Is it worth going from 12 to 8, 13 to 8? Depends. I, I say it depends, but I'm saying, but but who? Who would have to be there to what allow I, that to happen? Probably Terry, one definitely. of those three guys you were yeah, talking well, about. Well, that's what Terry Fondo comes in, right? And and the thing is this. You know, it, it's amazing uh, how history repeats itself. You know, when you when I'm getting drafted in 2004, 2005, you know, I'm talking to Marcus Robinson, that former safety that was that was a player personnel guy. I was like, hey, man. What what are we doing? Like like what what how do, how do you build in a draft? He says you build your draft to either to either be the best team in your division or to beat the best team in your division. If you can't if you're not the best team, you got to build it to beat them. So if you are the Falcons, you got to build your team to beat to beat the Bucks. At least that, right now. At, at, at least right now. And I, and I think what happens is I, I say okay, so what type of players? What type of players do you get through that? Players that buy in, the players that fight. That's it. Players that buy in. No, no. See, see, no, no this is the thing, though, because when he said it, man, as a player that fight, he goes, when I say fight, man, I mean scratching and clawing, you know, the, the whole the whole Al Pacino. You know, you're scratching and clawing for every inch because some players come from winning. Look, the 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 uh, the prize for being a great player on a great team in college is that you're going to get a lot of money to go to a bad team. That is your prize. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. 
Right, Javon Walker. One, one, you know, one the uh, national championship going to go to the Lions. But you're bringing something there. When you say, hey, dude, we ain't do that. Bring that same fire you brought from the school you brought. Be infectious. Listen, you know, absorb from the players around you that's helping you become a better player and make sure they, they take something from you as well. And the next thing you know, you're looking up because the hardest thing to do is win and the hardest thing to maintain is winning. That is the hardest thing to do. So I go back to what Marcus Robinson said, man. Look, we want players that buy in. We want players that's going to fight. Because, Kevin, you know, just like I know, as good as we are, ain't but one team going to win it out of 32. You want to be – the thing about it is, is the, sometimes the worst place to draft is 20, 21. That means you made the playoffs, you experienced the playoffs, but you were probably one and done, right? So I think the thing about the Falcons team is when you say that like, they're, not many, they're not that many years removed from the Super Bowl. None of, none of the players on that team that was on that team now – was on the team back then. Those these yeah, are new yeah, guys. Grady Jarrett. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Grady maybe Jarrett, maybe a handful Deion of guys. Jarrett, yeah. And the thing is, too, you can't carry if the quarterback isn't there. You ain't bringing that winning tradition. So I do think uh, Terry Fondo is in a very very uh, unique spot. I think he's gonna have to utilize his contacts. Make no mistake about it. GMs know he know every he know all the thirty one other GMs. He's dealt with most of them. He was just with another team. Like a lot of GMs. But look, I dealt with this guy when he was at school. I mean, team X and team Y. So Terry Fondo got the youth and Kevin. I, I'm I'm coming around on this. Thibodeau, yes. Hamilton, yes. Neil, yes. Anybody else, move back. Because it gives you more picks. And when you're looking at the end of the draft, you want to be able to say, I got my last two years, man, I got, you know, 14, 15 draft picks that I know is going to be here that we can help develop while, you know, we're trying to figure things out. And, hey, 2023, whatever you got to dump, whatever you need to get them. Doesn't mean you're going to win in 2023, but it means you're going to get the guy. Yeah, you'll be in a position to go get the quarterback you want. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean – Again, at this point, if you were going to pay a seasoned veteran, you would have kept the guy you had. Yes. And you're paying, a, I mean, be real, you're paying Marcus Mariota because he's cheap. I mean, that's, yeah, that, is, and, he's and, been and, around the league and, and he's cheap. And, 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 and cheap in the NFL for a quarterback <laughs> is anything under $10 million a year. I think he's getting like $9 million. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll take the contract over here, Marcus, if you don't want it. We will We will tell you to where to, to where to DM the check. Yeah, we'll hold a few dollars <laughs> uh, on the flip side. We got more to come here. It's three and out. Braves and Dodgers tonight. Coming back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, three and out on this Tuesday. Braves and Dodgers coming up tonight. Also, some afternoon baseball uh, tomorrow. Obviously, uh, it was about Freddie Freeman last night. Been in an emotional situation like that. I don't know if there's been many parallels like that in football uh, that we've potentially seen. But can you just? And baseball is an everyday thing. So if it happened in football, you'd be one game done and go on. But do you just get back to baseball tonight, or is this kind of something that? Malaise is over the next two days, and then you move on. No, I, th- I think uh, I think now is is when you really want to try to get back to baseball, Kevin, because it shows how, that we can eliminate distractions. Let, let's, I mean, the Braves, the Braves last week, it was, they, I mean, they were part of like it's nineteen ninety five, and 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 nothing wrong with that. I mean, when, when people say this, man, I like you've been here before. No, 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 no. Enjoy the moment. We didn't think it goes from giving our rings to the to the players to giving our rings to the fans to. You know, a Brandon Leakin guys, all guys yeah. on showing up. But I get that part. Then you go, then you go to, then you go obviously to San Diego. You know, it doesn't start off good. You end up, you know, uh, you know, tying that series. You, you come out of that series five or six. Then you knew what yesterday was going to be. Freddie Freeman, the respect you're going to show him. Kenley Jansen, the respect you're going to show him. There's the Dodgers, there's the Braves, it's Golden Gloves. I get it. Then you get to the game, and the game ended up seven to four. Obviously, Watch Cardinal. I mean, you know, uh, the first time he goes up against Freddie Free. I mean, he goes yard. I think that you do get back to baseball because I think that the thing about baseball, different than any other sport, is you got to let go of the previous day no matter what, no matter what it was. 
good game, bad game. You know, got to let it go. But I think for this Braves team, it's, do y'all got to, you know, I know it's still early talking about getting your rhythm, but no one said you can't get in your rhythm early. No yeah. one said you can't get in the groove early. And I think for this Braves team, is they show a lot of fight. I mean, I just think that for me, Kevin, when I look at this Braves team as a whole, it's, you know, like you said, they, you know, they're able to get two home runs on Clayton Kershaw late yesterday. They were able to show some fight. But let's get these bats going because – this lineup is one of the most feared lineups in baseball. Before you get Ronald Acuna Jr. back, Matt Olson, I mean, you talk about a guy that's being overshadowed with everything, not name him right. He has been balling since, I mean, since he put on the Braves uniform. Get the bats going. Let's, you know, let's get the starting pitcher going. And, and in a sense, let's play with a lead. I kind of want to <laughs> see how the Braves look, you know, when they go to the bullpen. Because you, as you mentioned, how, how better is Jansen when he got a 3-4 run cushion? You know, how better is the bullpen? Because until we see that, Kevin, I know, listen, while we are hopefully going to be good enough to win 2-1, 3-1, let's go in, let's go into the bottom of the sixth, top of the seventh, or what may have you with three or four run lead. Let's really unleash this bullpen, and let's see what the Braves got. Yeah, I think the, getting the bats going is important. Uh, you have, you know, Rosario, who is such a big key contributor down the stretch, had a rough go uh, before that, before coming to the Braves. He's off to a rough start. Uh, here to get things going. Uh, you know, Alex Dickerson uh, is hitting like 070. Uh, he's really had the, he's been the bad luck guy. And Dansby Swanson, uh, Ben, just as a professional, I'll just say it as a fan. I appreciate what Dansby brings to the table. Defensively, he's a gold glove caliber shortstop. And it may just be you don't have a lot of options. But to me, nobody is looking forward to the day off more than Dansby Swanson. And maybe he needs to have one in addition to that. He's batting 143. He struck out 20 times in 42 at-bats. For those of you keeping score home, that is not good. I will spare you my math, but that is getting close to 50%. That is not close to respectable uh, on anywhere in, in the major leagues. I mean, put to, to put it in perspective, if that continues, if this pace continues, Dansby Swanson will strike out Almost 250 times this season. That's not that that's not that's not good. You get to 200, that's not good. Uh, strikeouts. It used to be a day when you'd strike out 100 times. People look at you like you stink. We've kind of passed that with guys hitting homers. They'll trade homers for strikeouts. But right now, Dansby 143 striking out. And to me, the difference in a guy like Alex Dickerson been batting 070 and Dansby, who's batting double that. Is Alex Dickerson's having bad luck? Yeah, he's putting the ball in play. It's right at people. He's hitting the ball hard. Some of that's going to even out. When you're striking out half the time, you get up there. That's a whole other problem. You're not seeing the ball. You're not making productive outs. You're not moving runners over. You're just in a bad way. Uh, and he's a better hitter than that. But what do you do? I I, I think you look at him. People are saying, send him down. I mean, look, this is a guy that brings a lot to the table for your team. People like to hate on Dansby. I get it. His batting average is not what you want it to be. He plays a good, elite caliber defense. But I don't know how long you can let him just go out there every day batting 143. Give him a day off and say, look, it's early. A couple of couple of nights, if you can get a two-hit night, it's going to you know shoot up to respectability pretty quickly. But you can't keep striking out every other time you go up to the plate. That's killing everything. Like, you can't get to Ozzie Albies doing that. Ozzie Albies can't get around to Matt Olson to drive guys in if he can't get on base. I think that's part of the reason you look at Dansby and say, bat him ninth. You say, why? If he can get on base, you got Albies and Olson right there at the top to drive him in, and it'll be Acuna here shortly. But 
Ben baseball is a finicky thing because it is all about confidence. But at some point, you have to be Brian, Brian Snicker. You have to be looking around, going, "Dude, how long can we keep him in a, in the lineup, hitting like this without even a day off?" I know there's professional pride. I want to play every day. Heck yeah, I'd, I want to play every day too. But at some point, when you're 50 percent strikeout rate, you're batting 143. You might just need a day to clear the head and say, "Take a step back." And quit pressing. I mean, it, because it's 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 not good on any front for Dansby at the plate. And, and, I, and I think you said it right there, Dan. He's pressing. Dansby, once again, I say this. The common influence of what Freddie Freeman brought to this team last year is what Matt Olson is doing now. Matt Olson is just new. Dansby Swanson was the guy that said, look, man, I'm a, I'm a better hitter when guys around me are playing better, you know, hit, hitting better. When I'm, when I'm a focal point, I, I, I don't seem to thrive in that position right now. Dansby 143, I don't I don't expect him to stay there, but but Kevin, you know better than me. When you had the plate, man, look, man, each plate appearance, man, let's go through your routine. Breathe. Be comfortable. <laughs> because once any professional athlete, especially hitters in baseball, you get in your head, man, everything looks hittable. I mean, you swinging at everything. But and then you just trying to make contact. I I I get it. Well, you start worrying about the number rather than just going out there yeah. and playing. He's like, in the back of your mind, man, I'm only hitting 140. I'm only hitting 140. Like, this is bad. Like, they're professional guys. They know it's not good. Of like, course. Of course. Dansby may say, I don't look at the stat sheet, but Dansby, you've played baseball long enough to know, bro, we've played two weeks. I ain't got but about six hits. Like, yeah. that, it's not good. Yeah. Like, I mean, he he knows he's not doing going well at the plate. So, uh, I, again, I'm – I'll be interested to see how long Brian Snicker's willing to let this roll because, again, he brings you a lot defensively. But talking about a lineup, thank God you got the DH, even though for the Braves that's not been a good thing <laughs> so far this year. But, I mean, uh, if you if you had Dan's being the pitcher going right now, you'd have uh, a real problem at the bottom of your lineup. So, I again, I, I, I don't know what to do with Dan's because I feel like de- defense wins out for me as a, as a person. Uh, you know, if I'm any sport, hey, if you're struggling offensively, I'll be, I'm willing to let some of that slide because you make up for it on the other end. Yeah, which right. You, which then, you if does. you're having a bad game at tight end, but you out there blocking cats yes. and doing, all right, I'm willing to let some of that slide. Yeah, but when but, your but, route but, running but, starts turning bad, exactly. and you can't, it's well, like, well, 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 I got to do something. Well, at the same time, too, though, right? I mean, the difference is though, you know, if I'm having a bad game at the tight end position, how do I find a way to contribute in other ways? And yes, it could be in a run game. Yes, it could be on special teams. So they're going to give you other opportunities. But the thing is, when they throw the ball to me, got to make a play because they're like, look. I'm only getting limited opportunities every single game, no matter what. The thing about Dansby Swanson is, you know, when you at the plate, like, look, Dansby, it's like, I don't like it when, you know, uh, a guy gets up to get up to hit in the, in the, in the freaking dugout, they're doing all this crazy. No, 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 no. He, he, the goal in professional sports is to figure it out. Like, some could say that you're even elite mentally with what you have to deal with. But I, I think that, I think the day, I think when this with Dansby, just like, a, it's just like a, it's just like a, a receiver. Man, just catch the next one. Hit the next one. Just get on base, and maybe because because listen, Dansby is excellent, you know, in the field. You don't you don't worry about him there. But I don't need you. Listen, take that same confidence when you're in the field as when you're at the <laughs> yeah. play. Because I think too, Kevin. It's like it's like a pitcher that can't throw strikes no more. Like sometimes it just happens. But it is early in the season. I hope I hope you know two or three, you know, you know, four or five games from now he's found his rhythm. Because when Dansby is good, he's really good. But obviously right now, even though it's early in the season, he's already found himself into a really really bad slump. We've got more to come. Braves and Dodgers part two tonight. We'll have part three tomorrow afternoon. And then an off day finally for the Braves here in this young season. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Braves and Dodgers coming up tonight. Max Freed against Walker Bueller.
And then a 310 first pitch tomorrow, Charlie Morton against Tony Gonsolin. Hope the Braves can at least get one here on this uh, stop in L.A. And of note, Ben, there's been a, a mystery sighting in Jacksonville. One Ronald Acuna Let's there do it. for the uh, Gwinnett Stripers Let's t- do it. tonight. And Gwinnett's going to be in Jacksonville through Sunday. I think a uh, afternoon start tomorrow, but night games uh, throughout the rest of the week and tonight. So want to get a chance to maybe see Ronald Acuna there in Jayville. Man, He'll be there with the Stripers for the next few days. Listen, you got to love that, though, Kevin, right? I mean, for people say, man, wow, you are, I know people say, man, I am a lover of minor league. I mean, uh, you know, triple-A triple A baseball. Ronald Acuna is in Jacksonville. What else are you going to be doing? Getting ready for the draft. Hoping to see Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> hoping to see, uh, Doug, you know, Doug Peterson. They're going to Ronald Acuna Jr. hitting bombs. Listen, hopefully he's still got that. <laughs> he, he's still hitting bombs, Kevin. But I'm happy to just have him back out there, which means the timeline to get him back up with the Braves and sooner rather That's what uh, I think someone, uh, I saw this, uh, somebody put this on Twitter. They said, so Ronald Acuna tonight goes uh, two of two with a bomb and a double. And uh, Alex Anthopoulos said, Yep, you're good. And then he comes back. <laughs> Come back to the I think it's going to be a little bit more than that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think he's at least going to be there a week or so. And then hopefully when he comes back, not right out there in the field, going to be that DH spot and add a big, big bat to that lineup. I just think at the end of the day with all the celebrations, I can't wait to see 1-3 back with the Bravos. And have him say, I'm back. Like he did <laughs> at uh, spring training. A lot of folks looking forward to seeing Acuna back there with the Braves. He is in Jacksonville uh, tonight and throughout this week uh, there with the Gwinnett Stripers as they're taking on the Jumbo Shrimp in Jacksonville. We will see you not tomorrow because we got Braves baseball. We'll see you on Thursday, a week to go to the draft. We'll see you here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network.